Dallas Flowers back deep to receive, and the Colts what? block a punt. It's hanging in the air. The Colts pick it up. House down the far sideline, the 10, the 5, a touchdown for the Colts. Backing to throw, lobs it in the end zone, and it's caught for a touchdown by Deion Jackson. The Boobirds out in full force on a Saturday in Minneapolis. The Vikings are getting housed at the moment. It's 16 to nothing. Back to work here. KJ Osborne goes in motion to the left side. Ball in the far hash. Cousins out of the gun. Backs to throw. Stands in the pocket. Throws it up. Picked off by the Colts. 10, 5, touchdown. Defensive score. Julian Blackman picks it off. It is 29 to nothing. Are we having fun yet? Cousins looks that way. Fires into the end zone. Wide open at the pylon. And that's Osborne for a touchdown. Cousins to pass. He's got time. He throws it left side. It's caught. It's a walk-in touchdown for Jefferson. He beats Stephon Gilmore on the outside. And Jefferson finds the end zone. He's doing the dance. And now it is 36-20 to 20 with 12 minutes and 53 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. And the Vikings have touchdowns on their last three drives. They throw in the end zone. Wide open. A touchdown. That's Adam Thielen for the score. Under center goes Matt Ryan. Hands off to a running back at the line of scrimmage. He is hit. He falls forward. And he lost the ball. It's picked up by the Vikings. Quarterback sneak for Matt Ryan. Everybody's pushing him towards the first down marker right at the 35-yard line. Ruling on the field that the runner's probably going to stop short of the line of game. Cousins backs the throw, quick throw, it's caught, uh, running back screened, and it's Cook, cuts back, he's at the 50, he's in the clear, 30, he's at the 20, makes another man miss, he's at the 10, he's at the 5, going forward, and he's into the end zone for a touchdown, it is 36-34, Cousins looking left, hitching, firing, end zone, throws, two point conversion is good, TJ Hawkinson, and this is unbelievable. The Vikings have outscored the Colts here in the second half, 36-3. to And we're tied at 36. We're tied at 36, and this to win the game for Greg Joseph. Yeah, placement. Kick is on its way. Plenty of distance, and it is good. Largest comeback in NFL history. 33-0 at halftime. That's rare here. You're on the wrong side of history. Yeah. Indeed it is, rare air, very accurate from the owner of the Colts, Jim Ursay, as his organization is in shambles currently as they close out the 2022 season. The upper quartile of upper quartile in historic losses has been the name of the game, uh, and in my opinion, the season has gone from the most disappointing in the Ursay era to the most embarrassing in the Ursay era. Good Monday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Jake, I find myself thinking, and I guess I thought this after several weekends this year, um, thank the Lord for Purdue basketball, right? Yeah, I'll I'll tell you what, I was terrified. um, And Purdue, by the way, I mean, credit to Davidson. Yeah. Hanging around and giving them Mm -hmm. a run, but Purdue making plays down the stretch. But uh, I was really worried in that Colts game. We went to the Yule Tide on Saturday. Of course, originally oh, we bought went last tickets. night. Did you? What'd you think? Uh boy, I I want that violinist Kevin Lynn to see if he could play quarterback this weekend. Yeah, he's great, right? And he's, how about the hula hoop guy? Could the hula, Jonathan Taylor out? Can the hula hoop the guy? The hula hoop guy play? was great, but I have to admit, like it kind of was. It was like, wait a minute, where did this come from? It kind of. I, I thought he was so good, though. I could just watch him the whole. I time. I mean, it was pretty amazing, but. Um, I was worried sick, and, and credit and kudos and tip of the hat and 
the streets of Indianapolis should look like the streets of Buenos Aires this morning. Because I thought the Colts were going to screw around and and lose out in that game. I, I I was worried sick. They got up thirty three nothing, and I thought they are. What are they doing? What are they doing? They are going to lose everything that's right there at their fingertips. And credit to them. I mean, to have the resiliency, the guts, the fortitude, the leadership of men to reach down deep inside and still allow Minnesota to keep them within the striking distance of the top six in the draft. It takes a special skill set to be able to do it that way. And kudos and credit to the Colts for finding the real victory and seizing it and not letting it slip between their fingertips. So uh, it was a good day on West 56. You know how many shots Michael Jordan's missed? You know how many games Michael Jordan's lost? The reality is, Kevin... That was textbook entertainment from Jeff Saturday, right? Yeah, the reality is, though, that winning that game would have done them nothing, right? Yeah, it would move them, I think, to ninth in the draft position. Right now, they're sixth. They could actually move up another spot tonight. Uh, cheer for the Packers. Or, excuse me, cheer for the Rams to beat the Packers on Monday Night Football. That would push the Colts one more spot up. I- I don't know how big the section of the fan base is, Jake. I mean, maybe it's not very big, but I did hear from some people on Saturday that were saying, I get the draft position order, but to have that embarrassment and that stain, and now you are the butt of jokes for years to come until this happens, there is, I think, it's probably a small section of the fan base that's like, I don't want that. I mean, yesterday, did you see like the memes when Argentina was blowing their lead? It was, oh, does Jeff Saturday manage the Argentine national yeah, team? I, I mean, obviously, the Matt Colts Ryan. The Colts logo on the Argentina flag, the Matt Ryan, you know, jokes of the Super Bowl. And obviously, that I mean, his wife was tweeting about it yesterday. Um, again, it's probably a small section, but I do think uh, there is some fan, there are some fans that feel that way. There are others that I think look at Saturday and think, I'm talking about the game, not, not the human, think that was the perfect loss. Because in no way, shape, or form can Jim Irsay think about running it back with any of the parties involved right now. Because of that embarrassment, one game after, you had a similar embarrassment on national television. If you look at the last two games, Saturday, you blew the biggest lead in the history of the NFL. Uh, league's been going on for, what, 102 years? The game before that in Dallas, you gave up 33 in the fourth quarter. You scored none in the fourth quarter. That was the biggest fourth quarter margin the NFL has seen in 97 years. Did you say rare air, Mark? Yeah. Rare. 97 years and 102 years. And you know what matters to Jim? That's Rosario? rare air. National TV for both of those games. He is got on his knees, frankly, to the NFL saying, we need to get on national television. We deserve it. Why are we not having more primetime games? Well, there you go. Solo slot Sunday night football at the Cowboys. Solo slot Saturday afternoon at the Vikings. And you can hang banners in your stadium for how historic those losses are. The the other thing, and I know that this was pointed out by a lot of people, but it is pretty coincidental, ironic, whichever way you want to look through the lens, but how bad do the Colts dislike Frank Reich? I'm I'm saying that facetiously, just so people know. Um, you want to ki- talk about kicking a guy while he's down? We're going to give you the opportunity to coach an NFL team and be the head coach, and then 
we're going to basically completely undercut you by putting in a quarterback change that you didn't ask for and we're going to skip over the one guy that you wanted to bring in because the last guy you wanted to bring in we got rid of so now we're going to not only fire you as head coach but the the second highest point of your resume the, the highest being you were the offensive coordinator for a Super Bowl champion the second thing on your resume says, I quarterbacked the largest comeback in NFL history. So the Colts went out there and said, you know what? We can't let Frank Reich have that record anymore. Let's get out to a big lead and let's make sure that we let some other quarterback boot Frank Reich from the history books and allow the largest comeback in NFL history to happen against us. I mean, that's kicking a guy while he's down. Are you allowed to fire an interim head coach? <laughs> sure. Shouldn't Bubba Ventrone coach this team the final three games? So you're ready to to punt on the Jeff Saturday. Well, what's experience? the one unit, Jake, that shows up every week? What's the one group that's been the most consistent for you in five years? Yeah. Who's the guy that when the Frank Reich firing was announced that I certainly was clamoring for? And when you watch Jeff Saturday on the sidelines, who is he talking to? Who is he consulting with? It's always Bubba Ventrone. Like it's just it's such an embarrassment the fact that they're going to be in national television again a week from tonight um, is absolutely amazing um, and again sixth in the draft order Matt Ryan and the passing offense continues to look like uh, just an archaic unit that can't move the ball whatsoever down the field and I don't know how you felt Jake going back and watching it or Mark if you were watching it live did, I just got this feeling like at halftime what did I do? Opened up my BetMGM app, and I looked at the Vikings money line. I thought to myself, you know what? I don't feel like this lead is safe at all. 33 to nothing. Didn't feel like it was safe whatsoever. Obviously, I didn't have the you-know-what to pull the uh, the, the old trigger. Well, what was the money line at that Plus point? Plus 3,500. Well, $10 bet to win 350. And you get to the third quarter, and again, it, it happened to me late first half. You started coaching scared. Two-minute warning comes. The Colts are moving the ball down the field. Looks like they're going to punch in another touchdown. Five straight run plays after the two-minute warning. No team does that. They open up the second half. They get to Minnesota territory on their first two possessions of the second half. And the old give-up play is the old, hey, let's throw a wide receiver screen. That's the Colts' give-up play here in 2022. They run both of those to start the third quarter there. And at this point, I just felt like you could just feel it. You could feel it all of a sudden starting to churn a little bit. And lo and behold, the avalanche comes. And Minnesota still threw a pick. I mean, it's not like Kirk Cousins was absolutely perfect in the second half. He still throws an interception. And yet they're, they're able to execute the greatest comeback in NFL history. And you know, one of the wilder things, Jake, watching the end of that game, the Vikings were like, oh yeah, we're playing for the tie there at the end. Oh yeah, no question. They were moving like very slowly no on that final no drive. A tie would have clinched the NFC North. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh wow, the Colts are allowing us to move the ball down the field. Oh, they're going to commit another stupid penalty here. Um, an undisciplined nature with 11 penalties on Saturday. And they're like, oh, might as well try the game-winning field goal and clinch it with a victory. And they do it. Yeah, the delay of game by like sitting on the on top of players or Jefferson's trying to get up. I mean, you know, the good news is if you're a Colts fan, you could have turned over to see what Indiana was doing in Lawrence, oh, right? Man, 
is the book out on Indiana? Collapse in on Trace Jackson Davis and force shooters to, to beat you and... You do feel bad because obviously Xavier Johnson was hurt. But. Yeah, and that doesn't sound good. I've heard some rumors of broken foot on that. We'll see how long Xavier Johnson's going to miss. I mean, you, you hear that and you think that's a huge chunk of the Big Ten season, potentially longer. Jake, I, I know it's low-hanging fruit, and I apologize, and I did this last week when Ryan Walters was hired. By the way, uh, you said Thursday morning, Mark, for Ryan Walters? Correct. Purdue head football o'clock. coach going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour coming up on Thursday. Jake, you watch how Purdue throws the ball into Zach Eady and then how Zach Eady handles a double team every single time the ball is thrown to him. And then you watch Indiana, who for the entire week, it's it's widely known that Kansas, that's their go-to. Double, double, double. We're going to double the post. They're not very big. I mean, I don't think they had to start over 6'8". And yet you watch Indiana and Trace Jackson Davis handle the obvious scouting report and then you watch Purdue and Zach Eady handled the obvious scouting report. They could not be on two different ends of the spectrum in how they're coached and how their players execute the game plan that they know is coming at them every single game. Trace Jackson Davis, who's a wonderful college player, nice young man, been a good ambassador for Indiana basketball, but Indiana fans that think that Trace Jackson Davis, like last year, when Trace Jackson Davis, you know, when it's like, I'm coming back, you know, I'm, I'm going to skip the draft and come back to Indiana. Look, you saw in that Kansas game, you saw in the Arizona game, why Trace Jackson Davis is not a lottery pick. I, I mean, he's probably, based on just experience and maturity, he probably has played his way into the late first, early second round, oh, but geez, that's I'm not, really I, yeah. overly optimistic. I, I better not be the one running that draft. Yeah, that's really overly optimistic. I mean, he's probably three weeks ago. He probably had played his way into like the the late twenties. He's probably played his way back out of it because he just doesn't have the lateral quickness. Bottom line, you know. And again, Indiana's got to be able to shoot the ball from the outside if he's not performing. I think what's kind of extra disappointing about Indiana's start, Jake, is, again, they brought back so many guys. They brought back such a big core from last year that you should expect to handle some of these environments. It's not like Kansas got all five starters back from the national title team. It's not like Arizona last week had five starters back from their number one over or their number one seed from the previous season. And yet you go into both of those environments. And again, these are the environments that you, you, I think get a little bit more critical evaluation because they're away from home uh, and yet you get run off the floor. In Vegas you did. Obviously, you are able to come back and make that somewhat interesting Saturday afternoon. Absolutely not. Uh, Zach Kiefer going to join us around 9 o'clock today. We'll certainly take your calls. 317-239-1070. Uh, any World Cup viewing for you yesterday? I did watch. Um, I turned it on with probably... Oh, I I saw the last third of it probably. Yeah, I think I was um, in the same boat. I I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was cool. I, I open disclaimer. I, I'm not like a diehard soccer fan. I have an appreciation for the World Cup, and I found myself kind of rooting for both club, both countries. As odd as that sounds, because the Messi storyline in Argentina is pretty, you know, pretty endearing, and then. I've just I've been to France, so I guess that you know okay. There's a connection, I guess. Um, 
Sometimes if I have no, and I know this is odd, but I said this before, Kevin. Sometimes if I have no rooting interest in a big soccer match like that, I root for the country where I think it would mean more to their people. And for that reason, I found myself leaning towards Argentina. I know that the World Cup is massive in France. Don't get me wrong. But there are a lot of things about the culture of France that are not related to soccer. Soccer is such a big deal and Argentina and, and Messi is such a national hero. I saw the the aerial footage of Buenos Aires yesterday afternoon. It was pretty incredible. Yeah, pretty I got, amazing. actually have a buddy of mine that's down there right now. He's kind of doing this remote work life and has made his way through Central America. And now he's into South America. And he was taking some videos of just some little kids, Jake, just bawling. Yeah. At the result. Just the pure emotion of it all. I thought Mark made a great point last week in that this matchup, was like Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, but strip all the Super Bowls from Brady. Because that's what it is for Messi. Right, right. You know, Messi, and this is it for that Messi. That was the last thing on his resume, right? And again, Jake, I feel this way with the Olympics. The fact that these guys, gals, they only can be on that stage once every four years, yeah. that just puts the weight of a country even more on your shoulders. And think about when we got Brady Mahomes in the Super Bowl a few years ago. How big of a dud was that game? Yeah, and you get Messi and Mbappe yesterday, and it is. I I saw a great tweet. It this is like Jordan, LeBron, Game Seven, Double OT, and they each have scored like forty or fifty. Mm-hmm. Mbappe has three goals. They both make their penalty kicks. Messi scores the first goal of the game, then comes back, scores the 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 tying goal when it looked like Argentina was just toast. And one thing I appreciated. And Jake, obviously, I'm with you. I'm not some, I, I, I don't know, maybe I have a little bit more of a soccer fandom than, than, than you, but by no means am I going to act like I'm some diehard soccer fan. It seemed like both teams kept attacking the whole way. Like, I, I never felt yeah. like one team was just like, oh my gosh. I'd agree with that. We're yeah. going to back it into the corner. I would agree with that. It, it was, was very like, aggressive. We're going, you know, whatever, 10 guys yeah. towards the goal, and boom, counter down the field, and Argentina's now attacking the other way. I usually judge like, sports environments off of how <laughs> Maddie reacts watching and she was in Barcelona when Spain she was studying abroad when Spain won the World Cup so she has a little bit more of like a oh I, I have some interest in this I mean she was going nuts at just the near misses all the chances certainly the penalty kicks create drama I, it's just rare to get all the hype and then for the game to live up to it I, I get a little bit I'm a cynic by nature, and that's sometimes a rough way to live. But like, I was looking at Twitter yesterday, and during it, somebody sent a tweet like, "What do you think the NFL executives think? You know, watching the excitement of this game and seeing everyone interested, like they have to hate it." And I'm like, "I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's it's the World Cup final, and you're comparing it to the numbers that for the beginning of the first half of the Bears and Eagles game. I, I mean." The Super Bowl in the United States, if it came down to that kind of a flurry of a finish, would have the same, you know, I mean, that's that was the Super Bowl, basically. How about this tweet, by the way? I think the NFL is pretty content with how they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, this tweet is pretty unbelievable. This is from March 20th of 2015. Now, unless this guy's like the world's best ever doctorer of tweets... He had it as his pinned tweet, Jose Miguel Polanco. I'm not even sure where he lives. On March 20th of 2015, did you see this, Kevin? Yeah, I actually did. This is great. He tweeted, 
December 18th, 2022. And by the way, I went back and looked and March 15th, or excuse me, March 20th of 2015 was the date when they announced the final, the date for the final of the World Cup in 2022. In Qatar. So he put December 18th, 2022. 34-year-old Leo Messi will win the World Cup and become the greatest player of all time. Check back with me in seven years. <laughs> I just, I can't imagine the amount of That's pressure solid. he was feeling yesterday. The, the kid that tweeted that? Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> incredible. Yeah, nothing like, yeah, old He's takes probably exposed. like, man, I should have bet on that. Uh, just knowing that that was... Probably, I mean, Messi has he officially announced his retirement from no, international? Not that I, not that I know of. But it, it seemed like this it seemed was it, like though. it. The way his teammates mobbed him, sure, and they finally won sure. and everything like that. But uh, yeah, that was a pretty pretty exciting game. Same with Ashley; she was kind of like looking up every so often, but she's like, "Oh my god!" When France scored two goals in the course of like thirty seconds, yeah. she's like, "What is going on?" I'm like, I know. And then it really got intense because then you're like, "Man, this is." This is wild stuff. It was it was very entertaining. Absolutely epic there in the World Cup final. Croatia beats Morocco for the third place game on Saturday. Kind of a bummer of the Pacers weekend, Jake. They played so well for what? Three, three and a half quarters, both of those games. I thought particularly in Cleveland on Friday. I thought that was one of their better performances of the season. Um, but this was an issue last year in closing out games. Yeah. Um, and we saw it flare up not only Friday in Cleveland, but ye- yesterday was certainly the the worst of the two. Um, up six with what, like 90 seconds to go and lose yeah, to the Knicks? Slide down the stretch, right? Um, but it, it, And I think the thing that's disappointing about the Pacers, Kevin, is that we, you know, we had you, me, I mean, the city, the fan base – the organization to an extent had basically braced ourselves and accepted to the fact that this is how it was going to be, that there were going to be games where you're like, holy cow, they're unbelievable. And there were going to be games where you're like, what are they doing? But yet they got up to such a good start that you felt like the latter part had been erased. Yeah. And it's starting to, you know, over the course and the rigors of the season, it's starting to show itself a little bit. Now you're 30. Are you worried? I, I gosh, kind of live and die with each game which isn't the most healthy thing for my relationships at, at, at on the home front let me, let me tell you something you have no idea like shannon and i talk about it a lot i mean there was a time where she lived and died with every pacer game and it was like oh my gosh yeah and that's family i mean that's like direct family i can't even imagine that front here i am just well, i am thinking about max it ed- is family max for you, education family. Let's not get ourselves. you know it was, it was one of those where i we went to yuletide last night so i'm sitting there and uh, you know maybe check the phone between an act or two and i'm thinking to myself oh here they are up six with 90 seconds to go this will be an easy win and then check it after yeah. you know hula hoop guy does an unbelievable effort i'm like oh my god what the hell happened i go back and watch it i'm like by the way sort of better yuletide host sandy patty or Frankie Morano, is that how you say? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big Frankie Moreno. I would agree guy. with you. He feels a little Vegasy, right? Yeah, a little, little Vegasy. I think they have a nice touch there with Carol, the older woman that they bring in there. Um, but she no, it was funny. it was a fun time, and this time of year, just to have those traditions, I'd go with my in-laws every year, is always a fun event. Mark, good weekend for you. You were uh, good weekend, yeah. Traveling a little south. Uh, so we ended up not doing that. We we, oh. were, we had tickets, and we realized on the tickets it says Monday through Thursday. So we're going to Louisville today after the show. Look at you! Out. I know. So we did Cincinnati on Saturday. So Friday we went to uh, Love Cincinnati. Went up to Noblesville and went to the Ruoff Drive-In. 
lights. Oh, I didn't realize that I had very that up cool. there. Very cool. Magic of Lights, I believe it's called. It's very cool. There's a dinosaur display that my oldest one absolutely loves. So that was very fun. And then Saturday, we Cincinnati, we did the uh, Cincinnati Museum Center. They have a Holiday Junction, which is a bunch of like trains set up throughout the area. That was cool. And then we did the Cincinnati Zoo for their Festival of Lights. And that was fun too. Now, do so, your nice. kids know they live in Indianapolis, or do they just? They, they do, spend every but weekend? they they are spoiled. They do a lot of things. I'm just I like, I didn't do all this stuff when I was a kid. There was about the mileage that you're putting on these cars. I know. Here. Yeah, I know. yeah. good for you. Now, are you getting ready to take seven weeks off? No, no, I'm only taking off next Monday. And Kevin, you I'm going to take really? off a couple days next week. I'm not driving back on Christmas Day night to do this show. Now, what day? So, Kevin, you and what we, days are you off? Yeah, my in-laws, we go uh, down to... Um, I like this down here. Just south of the Naples <laughs> yeah, area. Who I'm working with. Over Christmas. So, I'm going to do the show Monday, Tuesday, but then I'll be out Wednesday, Thursday, Friday next week. So, it's you two, right? Yep. Rounding out the week, yeah. Okay. Now, so, you you know, guys I'm, preview a big Colts-Giants game on New Year's Day. Can't wait, man. <laughs> you guys ready for that? That'll be a big one. Well, uh, is, I'm as ready for that as I am to recap the big... Colts Chargers, Chargers right, on, on, on Monday Night Football. At least, you know, I was thinking about this. At least we get to watch Justin Herbert and Saquon Barkley the next two weeks. Like, if I were going to make a list of NFL players that I want to watch, Herbert and Barkley would be close to the top, if not out the top. I have, um, without breaking down too much of the game on from, you know, because what is there to break down, I do have coming up for you, Kevin, in about 15, well, 10 minutes or so, uh, a critical Colts question, if you will. I like that I, want, it. that I want your insight on. Uh, we'll come back. You caught up on everything that happened over the weekend and notably last night in the world of sports on this Monday morning. Good morning to you. It is Christmas week here in Indianapolis, and we kick it off this morning with Kevin and Query, 93.5, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It's the biggest blown lead in NFL history from 33-0 to 39-36 in overtime. The Colts behind unbelievable, really, special teams play and defense throughout the first half. Uh, build a massive halftime lead, and it melts away in Minneapolis, which I think is very difficult this time of year to accomplish. Uh, 4-9-1 and one on the year. The Colts now sixth in the draft position. They go could move up another spot tonight. So good news on that front. Uh, the Packers and the Rams. You want to cheer for the uh, Rams in that one. Packers suck! Here was Jeff Saturday following the biggest blown lead in NFL history. Again, self-inflicted wounds. Like if you look at it offensively, again, you know you can't turn the ball over, you can't jump off sides on a short. You know you can't. Th- those kinds of mistakes ultimately cost you ball games. And so it doesn't matter what quarter it is. You know you you start fast. It's you know it's a complete game. You got to play all sixty minutes. So as far as like breaking it apart, doing all those kinds of things, it's it's much bigger than that. It's it's opportunities that you miss in the first quarter, no different than the fourth quarter. Uh, when plays are there to be made, you got to make them, and we didn't make enough. By the way, the Colts' offense, despite putting up 36 points, certainly left a little to be desired and some big news this morning that we'll get to uh, coming up in about 10 minutes involving the Colts and their offense moving forward. Don't think the offense that. deserves much credit, by the way. The offense didn't do much of that. For those 36 points. points. That's what I said. Defense especially special teams. desired, right? Yeah. I think Jeff Saturday's like, I left ESPN for this. Now, here's a question that, that I think he's pretty content with the money right yeah, now. Yeah, that's probably true. But as far as the stress and the results, very fair. Okay, yeah. here's a question that Brett Lee just sent me. Would ESPN hire back Jeff Saturday? Oh, yeah. Think so? I think in a heartbeat. Yeah. 
go through this experience, tell stories like that? Probably elevated his profile even that much more. I, I no question. But week fifteen of the NFL, we now have six teams that have clinched playoff berths: Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills, Vikings, 49ers, and Eagles. What a wild weekend! Um, obviously, Minnesota, Indianapolis on Saturday. How about Jacksonville? I'm telling you, man. Are they going to win the AFC South? The Titans are going in the wrong direction. And the Jaguars are going in the right direction. Yeah. Look at who they've beaten the Jaguars in the last couple of weeks here. And what did Trevor Lawrence do yesterday? Boy, big one. Trevor Lawrence yesterday, 27 of 42, 318, four touchdowns. I think he had one on the ground as well. He's thrown something like 16 touchdowns in either one or two picks in his last four games. I am biased because I watched him every single snap that he took in college, but I'm telling you, I was like, this guy looks like he had all the makings of Peyton Manning coming out of college. I'm not kidding you. And he's young. He's really young, Trevor Lawrence, and, and it's it's starting to come together for Jacksonville. At Jets, at Texans, home to the Titans. They win those three games, they will host a playoff game, which I think it's just more salt in the wounds, honestly, with this Colts season, that an eight-win team, maybe a nine-win team, is going to win the AFC South. The Lions continue um, to really be the surprise in the NFC. Six and one now in their last seven games. They are in the hunt just outside of the NFC playoff picture right now. And of course, that finished yesterday. Josh McDaniels and the Raiders beat Bill Belichick and the Patriots on one of the wildest plays you'll ever see. How about the fight in Mottman's, man? Seven and seven now. And you know what? I I hope they get in. I heard Tony Dungy saying this last night. Their defense, you know, their defense is starting to play well. And Jared Goff, give him credit. I mean... I think a lot of people kind of wrote him off as just like the Rams dispatched him. And and you know what? I mean, the Lions are looking like they absolutely played the Rams for a fool, right? And again, they're looking because like Because of team. what they got. Right. I mean, and they're going to be a team that's probably going to be... I, I think they'll they'll get in. I just don't see all those NFC East teams getting that in. That Titans-Jaguars game in Week 18, that could be the flex Sunday night game. That yeah. could come down to the division. That Literally a home playoff very game. possible. Um, the World Cup from this weekend, it's Argentina over France in penalty kicks. An absolutely thrilling, thrilling game. Um, the shots of Buenos Aires and just other parts of Argentina are pretty cool. First South American country to win the World Cup in 20 years. So the next World Cup will actually be uh, on the World women's side of course that'll be in New Zealand Australia next year the United States going for their third straight there uh, the next men's world cup be right here in North America the US Mexico and Canada in 2026 uh, NBA Pacers going to be off the next couple of days they are in Boston on Wednesday this coming off of their loss 109-106 last night to the Knicks at the Fieldhouse then they're in Miami on Friday and New Orleans Monday so the Pacers on the road here for three in a row before they come back to host Atlanta on the 27th. College basketball from the weekend. Purdue, uh, kind of an ugly one with Davidson over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, but Zach Eady continues to be uh, the national player of the year that he's been so far. 29-16 and 16 for him. Jake, they flashed this stat up there during the game, and I almost texted you about it. I was kind of surprised. Purdue is the first Big Ten team to be number one in consecutive seasons since the 75-76 Hoosiers. I wondered about that. Is that true? They flashed it up there. What was that Big Ten Network? I think it was Brendan Gordon and Robbie Hummel. There's no way that's right. The, uh, say that again, though, the stat. First Big Ten oh, Big team. Ten. Okay, okay. Yeah, I first meant... Big Ten team to be number one ranked in consecutive seasons since 75, 76, I Indiana. would have thought at some point, you know, the Fab Five, I, I would have known better because Indiana was 
was there and was ranked number one for a better part of that, and Duke, obviously, in the first year. Um, but that does surprise me. That surprises me a little bit. And Indiana, 84-62. They get absolutely smoked at Allen Fieldhouse. Xavier Johnson, walking boot, crutches after the game. Some rumors of a broken foot for him. That obviously would be less than ideal for Indiana. Um, I would say a disappointing non-conference season for IU, especially with just how they played, really, against Arizona and Kansas. All right, we come back. As Jake said, some big news on one of the Colts' star players. We'll touch on that. And you've got a critical question you wanted to throw out there. We'll take your calls as well. 317-239-1070 from a pretty wild weekend um, and a historic one for all the wrong reasons for the Colts on Saturday. Kevin and Quarry right here on a Monday. Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. And the very next day, you gave it away. Beautiful. That's me with the uh, Alex Golden podcast, right? That is correct. Thank you. That's pretty good. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's actually Merry Christmas. We, uh, we so we watched what we watched on Saturday afternoon. Then we have to listen to that to yeah. start our week. Uh, yeah, George Michael, by the, the way, Monday morning stocking. George Michael, who is one of the most gifted performers of my lifetime. Can we uh, hear that again, Mark? He, yeah. he unfortunately passed on Christmas Day. By the way, did you know that? I did know that. I mean, were you a baritone at North Central? Uh, I'm a terrible singer. My dad is a phenomenal singer. And let me say this before we get to the Colts news because it kind of ties in. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll just tell you, and then I'll. So, as I've mentioned, my family was at the Yule Tide on Saturday during the Colts game. I predicted on Friday that Regent Brian would mock me for that. Um, and I will say this: my father is in his early eighties. He's of good health, but nice it means, guy. Well, thank you. Uh, it means the world to my dad. He buys tickets for the entire family uh, to go to Yule Tide every year at Christmas, and he he begins in like November by letting us know the dates he picked, and da-da-da-da-da. He is a diehard Colts fan. He picked the, this year, he picked the Saturday showing because the Colts would be playing on Sunday, obviously. And two weeks before, or three weeks before Yuletide, they moved the Colts game to Saturday at the time that we were at Yuletide. Um, a 4-8-1 and one team on the road against Minnesota or going with my family at my father's wishes, who is in his early 80s to Yuletide, I will pick the latter every single day of the week and twice on Sunday or Saturday, depending on whatever day the Colts play. Uh, and if Region Brian, for example, has a problem with that, then I feel bad for Region Brian. Now, I wish I would have come with you guys on Saturday. Well, the Colts would apparently agree with me because, according to Ian Rappaport, Jonathan Taylor has been diagnosed with a high ankle sprain from that was sustained in Saturday's game. Given the 4-9-1 and one record and the severity of the injury, it is expected he will not play the rest of the year. So, again... That's obvious to me. It, That's an absolute obvious, no-brainer. Right? Of course it's obvious. It's, it's as obvious as you have the Yuletide to go to in a 4-8-1 team. I mean, if any variable comes into play... At this point, you're going to abstain from it, right? You know, I was going to write this, honestly, win or lose, Jake, that Taylor should be shut down for the rest of the season for multiple reasons. For one, this has been an extremely nagging injury that has plagued him now for several months. Um, 
And I think when you're in that building, Jake, you have to think a little bit about the Shaquille Leonard ankle situation. I'm not acting like Jonathan Taylor's is at the severity of Leonard, um, but... Leonard has been dealing with ankle issues, you know, for the better part of his entire NFL career. Uh, By no means do you want a running back dealing with that. There's absolutely no need, again, win or lose on Saturday, to play Taylor at all again because it's the same ankle that he continues to aggravate. Um, The other question I would have off of that, Jake, is does this impact the contract negotiations with Jonathan Taylor coming up this offseason? By all accounts, he would be due an extension Coming up this offseason, he has one more year left on his rookie deal for 2023. If Chris Ballard, assuming he's back, and Zach Kiefer's going to join us at 9 o'clock, and he's got some, I think, fresh Jim Irsay comments on the Ballard front, so we'll talk to him about that. Um, But if you follow kind of the Ballard precedent, rookies that perform well on that first contract, the extensions come right before the final year of that rookie deal. So for Taylor, that would be this offseason. My answer is yes, this would impact it. What say you? You know, as you know, Kevin, I have said for a while, and I think Jonathan Taylor's a wonderful player, really a phenomenal talent. I I think that he is a talent at a position that is pretty interchangeable, even as great as he is. In other words, I think that Jonathan Taylor, I look at things this way with every player, which is what percentage of value do I get back for what percentage of cost it would cost me to replace him? In other words, if you are re-signing Jonathan Taylor and he's expecting big-time second contract money, and I have no idea what he would demand per year. I really don't know that. But if you can get running back by committee for 40% the cost that gives you 80% the production, then I think you you go with running back by committee, honestly. Um, I don't know if that means like a sign and trade if you if you try to get something back for I mean if you're going to if you're gonna lose Jonathan Taylor or decide not to retain him, you want to try to get something for it because but again, how much, would he fetch back? Right. How do I don't know one other NFL teams view that position? Correct. That's exactly right. Because I, you know, who right now? Who are the three best teams in the league? Bills, Eagles, 49ers, Chiefs. Bills, Eagles, 49ers, Chiefs. I okay. gave you four. Apologies. Okay. If you can pick from three of those four, yeah, you'd be fine. Tell me the 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 star running back. On each of those teams. God, did Naeem Hines score for the Bills this weekend? Mm -hmm. Saw that. Uh, Yeah, Devin Singletary, Miles Sanders. And Devin Singletary is also, I mean, they plug him in and out. Oh, yeah. He's missed some games. Again, star running back is not not the phrase to use with any of the Cavs. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. But again, they got very deep into the playoffs last year with a running back by committee approach and Elijah Mitchell, uh, Raheem Mostert, and some of those guys there. Jake, we had a question a few weeks ago. You know, about a generational running back, it's the hardest position, in my opinion, to be generational at because you need so much around you to work out. And again, Father Time gets to that position a lot earlier than it does any others. I, I feel the way about running back that I do with big guys in the NBA. I would not commit serious long term money to that position. Now, my question for you, Kevin, is this. We as fans, as media, as natives of Indianapolis, 
are frustrated. I don't know if you'd say, I think there are some that would say embarrassed, but certainly frustrated by this Colts season. It is disingenuous for any of us to pretend that we know Jim Irsay like to the level that like family knows Jim Irsay. We might know him more than a fan just because of the access in your situation a little bit different because you worked you know you were an employee you were around it so you got a pretty good pulse i think on moods and tenor and you're in the building a lot but there have been moves that have been made this year where jim ursay kind of went rogue and went on his own and was like no like i'm planting my flag right here this is the decision we're making we're going with the younger quarterback we're going with jeff saturday i'm going with my gut i'm going with my instinct i know more about football than people think and i'm going to prove it now does jim ursay see what is unfolding before us as any sort of an indictment on his franchise and is he embarrassed by it or does he think to himself there's a method to the madness, and this will actually, there is a goal in sight. Let me start here with Ursay, Jake. Predicting what Jim Ursay is going to do is probably going to lead to a bankrupt bank account for you, if you want to wager on that. Um, you never truly know with Ursay. Never truly know with him. Having said that, um, by the way, what a beautiful sky this morning over Riley Tower. It looks like cotton candy out there. My friend Sandy Ward just posted a picture. It's unbelievable of the sky as she's driving to work. Um, boy, I have not seen that in eons, it seems like. Uh, <laughs> just on that- play Jake singing Last Christmas, and look what happened. <laughs> yeah, boy. Yeah. It's a Last Christmas week miracle. Christmas, I gave you my heart. I'm a good singer. I, didn't you just say you were a poor singer 10 minutes ago? You when did. I really try, I'm pretty good. Uh, on the Ursa front, no, I'm terrible. Uh, what pisses him off more than anything is embarrassment. Embarrassment for his franchise. But is he embarrassed? I, 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 how do you not? How are you not embarrassed by the last two games? And again, Jake, this season, and I said this to start off the show, and we can continue this conversation here in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll continue to take your calls, by the way. The season has gone from the most disappointing under his ownership, which dates back to what, 96, 97? To the most embarrassing. It is the most embarrassing cult season that Jim Mersey has been the sole owner for. You go back to the shutout in Jacksonville. You go back to the performance in New England where they had the fewest yards per play in the history of the Indianapolis Colts. You go to last Sunday in Dallas when you get outscored by 33 points in the fourth quarter. The first time an NFL team has done that in 97 years. And then you go 48 hours ago to Saturday and that is the first time in NFL history, 102 years, a team has blown a lead like that. It has gone from disappointing from the fact that, oh, double-digit wins can win the AFC South to obviously 4-9-1. and one. That is very disappointing compared to the preseason expectations. And now it is absolutely embarrassing. And it's embarrassing on national television. Didn't they give up like 112 points to the Saints in one game once? But again, Jake, the, again, and those are the one games. Those are the outliers. You can point to yeah, four separate games. Those were anomalies, not patterns. Utter embarrassment. Yeah. And to your point, Jake, the year when they gave up a million to the Saints, 2011, you were supposed to be bad those seasons. You did not think you were going to be bad this year. You've been bad. You're old at quarterback. To me, it's the most embarrassing season that Jim Mersey has had under his watch. And... When that is as apparent as it is to me, I don't see any reason how you can run it back. Having said that, again, we'll talk to Zach Kiefer about this in the 9 o'clock hour. And Jake, you and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday. We can get into it a little bit more throughout the week. 
his ego, I could see ego-wise him retaining Chris Ballard. Not right. because of the finances, what do, what, Kevin, because what of a, the ego. What do Chris Ballard and, and Jeff Saturday have in common? What they have in common is both of them were given their first opportunity by Jim Irsay, which means that he went against grain in getting them, and there were guys who had more experience or more name recognition at the time they were. And Ballard came in pretty praised, don't get me wrong. But those are guys that Jim Irsay, their hire is Jim Irsay's stamp, right? To, to to go away from that is Jim Mersey admitting that one person was incorrect. Jim Mersey. He didn't he, – he couldn't get to the point of firing Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano in the same offseason, and that I think is concerning. If you want Chris Bauer to go too, that is concerning. When you think he couldn't do that half a dozen years ago, I think that applies to now. Um, but again – uh, this is the lowest point Jim Mercedes Colts have been under his ownership. 8 o'clock hour coming up. Kevin and Corey. Matt Taylor, Joe Wrights, Colts Radio Network. You heard it right here on The Fan. Colts losing in Minnesota. And as I had mentioned earlier, good morning to you, by the way, on a Monday. Jake Quarry, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton, Zach Kiefer will join us just about an hour from now here on Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. The Colts have such a disrespect for Frank Reich that not only did they jettison him out of town while still owing him $36 million remaining on his contract, but then they decided that the one thing, aside from winning a Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator that he had right there on the top of his LinkedIn resume, LinkedIn, as we know, by the way, tender for business people, um, but what he had right there was, I'm the quarterback that led the largest comeback in NFL history, and the Colts said, not so fast. We're going to make sure that you've got to take that off of your resume. And the Colts did the right thing. Kudos to the Colts for realizing that right there before them was the opportunity to continue to stay high in the draft. They almost screwed it up. They screwed around and nearly lost everything on Saturday, and then they reached deep down to the fortitude of men and were able to pull out the devastating loss that keeps them within the top six of the draft. Some were saying on on, um, Saturday, Jake, that Jim Mercer should hire Jeff Saturday because that was textbook and entertainment, yet still losing. Up 33-0, one of the greatest halves in franchise history. Build up all that excitement, and then boom, you still lose. And sixth right now in the draft order again can climb to five tonight if the Rams beat the Packers. Um, upper quartile of upper quartile of historic losses. That's been the name of the game for the Colts here in 2022. That's rare here. Yes, thank you, Jim, for that. Um, I would say in particular the unit that has been the issue all season long and showed up again on Saturday was the passing offense. Uh, obviously led by Matt Ryan. You uh, One of the worst games of Ryan's career from a yards per attempt standpoint, and that came against the 32nd ranked passing defense. 32nd ranked, the Minnesota Vikings entering Sunday. They had allowed a slew of quarterbacks in recent weeks to be absolutely um, just shred them through the air, and yet the Colts absolutely inept and throwing the football. There seemed to be some whispers pregame. Lindsey Zarniak said this on the sideline before the game. Chris Mortensen, who's very plugged in with Colts ownership, mentioned this as well, that Nick Foles was warming up in the bullpen, that it would be a short leash 
on Matt Ryan. Um, Jeff Saturday was extremely noncommittal to Matt Ryan yesterday during his typical day after Zoom call. So I don't know if anyone cares, but there are major financial implications that I've mentioned before about continuing to play Matt Ryan. Um, But it does seem like really for the first time in the Saturday era, I feel like there could be a quarterback change coming. Here's the thing. What what does Nick Foles provide you that Matt Ryan does not? Um, Seventeen million in financial relief. Uh, understood. Which for an organization let, right let now that has that. as many me, holes as they do, that. that is let me massive. That. Let me rephrase that. From an on-field standpoint, what does Nick Foles provide you that Matt Ryan does not? Probably not a whole lot different. Um, you tend to think a little bit of a healthier quarterback, and honestly. Probably just a truer evaluation of the guys around that quarterback. Okay, that's like, fair because the the reason I I bring it up to me, Nick Foles is just maybe a slightly fresher version of Matt Ryan. If you're going to go ahead and and shelf Matt Ryan for any of the variables of which you mention, then you might as well go back to Ellinger to see what you have. I guess it comes down to finding out. Which is a which you need to evaluate the quarterback themselves or how the players around respond to different quarterbacks because you might be going getting ready to go back into another year of yet another quarterback starting for the Colts. But to me, the reason why Nick Foles we haven't seen just yet is because whatever Nick Foles brings to the table is the exact same thing as Matt Ryan. And at this point, okay, great. But again, the financial impact. I mean, seventeen uh, again, million on again, top of uh, understood. And what I'm saying is, you if, already owe Matt Ryan. If the 12. finances are such that it's forcing you to shelf Matt Ryan, then you might as well go with the quarterback that gives you a completely different vantage point and prism through which you're looking and evaluating. And that would be Ellinger. Yeah, I would go with Ellinger because again, because uh, I'm a big one eye towards the future. Next year, right? I'm a big one eye towards the future guy. But again, knowing how Jeff Saturday is operated. I think he's going to side a little bit more with the veteran. I know David wanted to talk a little Colts draft. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys. How, good morning, guys. How we doing? Doing great. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. Hey, man, are we just going to draft another offensive lineman with number five, number six, number four pick? Then that'd be a bust. A couple years, pay him $20 million. And one more thing is, when Chris Ballard goes to the draft, I hate when he says the process. We don't trust our process. His process has not worked yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sorry. Give me your first name again. David. David. Yeah. David, I love it, man. Do you want to come to my PBR party? You sound like a guy that'd be fun to just hang out, drink a PBR, I've watch. Been invited. Huh? You already invited me. <laughs> well, Jake's had like five PBRs I was this say, morning. I thought so that explains that, it. David, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not a beer guy, right? Oh, yeah. We can drink some beer. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And Davis is going to be hanging by the keg for Hell us yeah. on that front. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, My I've favorite caller. Said this. And again, we'll, we'll continue to take some calls. 317-239. By the way, next time you call in, David, I want you to refer to yourself as favorite caller David so I know which one it is. I always love his tone. Pretty good, but I'm running out of beer, <laughs> which is a problem. <laughs> and weed. But that's my own fault. I should have stocked up ahead of time, honestly. Is that how Colts fans now view watching games? <laughs> I mean, that's prerequisite, right? This season. 
Um, By the way, I'm doing a Twitter poll because Regent Brian won't won't lay off me, and I, not to make this show about me, but I have a habit of doing that. Um, he says, and I want Kevin, you give me your opinion. He says I would have. This goes back to my dad bought tickets for the Yuletide like he does every year for for the entire family. He bought them in like October or whenever they went on sale for a Saturday because my dad loves the Colts and my dad loves watching Colts games. Obviously, they so we had tickets for this Saturday for the, and then they moved the game to Saturday. Regent Bryan says you should have said, "Dad, I'd love to go, but I co-host a sports radio show in town and need to watch the game. Can we reschedule?" There are, by the way, eleven other people in play. Um, I opted to go to the Yuletide with my family over watching the four eight and one Colts game live. Uh, yeah, your guys' I, I, thoughts? Zero blame for you there whatsoever. Family, <laughs> over, family but, over four eight and one football. Like I said, I, I wish I could have joined the Quarry Crew on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, you said you would have watched so, the Colts. So when did you go? Uh, we went last night, six thirty. Okay, so I was thinking Sunday at one o'clock was was my thought, right? With that, but so for some reason they thought you know Colts are going to make history here. Let's put them in the Saturday at one o'clock uh, window. I I felt like the Colts coach so scared. Late first half. I mentioned this earlier. I mean, I, I checked the money line for the Vikings at halftime. The Colts ran the ball after the two-minute warning. They were in position to score a touchdown. They run it five straight times. I'm like, what are they doing here? Is this like, are they trying to run out the clock? Run it five straight times, settle for a field goal. And then I feel like there's no play the Colts run more this season than the third down give-up screen to Michael Pittman. Where they're just hoping and praying that Pittman can break like four tackles to get the first down. They do that to open up the second half. Both of their drives in Minnesota territory give up screens to Pittman on both of those drives. And that to me was just like, you are asking for Minnesota to get back into the game. It's pretty crazy when you think about 33 to nothing at halftime. And it was still thirty-three, nothing. Like six minutes into the third oh, it quarter, was, it was impressive. I it, mean, it's not like Minnesota came what, out and scored on the opening drive. What the Colts of the did third was quarter. impressive. Uh, to to be able to snatch victory of staying in the top ten in the draft from the jaws of defeat of almost screwing it up and winning that game was impressive. Like you've got to go out of your way. Now, I guess which leads to that question: If you're a conspiracy theorist, Kevin, did they go out of their way to make sure they lost that game? I don't think so. Yeah, Jeff Saturday doesn't want that on his resume. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, by the way, the other big news this morning that we got to, Jonathan Taylor, according to Ian Rappaport, who has um, sent out the tweet earlier this morning, high ankle sprain likely to keep Jonathan Taylor out for the rest of the year. And again, you can you can bet if the Colts were 9-4-1, and one, they would be coming up with ice packs and cortisone galore. Yeah, have to shut him down. Absolutely have to shut him down. It's been a nagging injury for multiple months. Um, your star defensive player has dealt with an ankle injury now for multiple seasons. There's absolutely zero need to play Jonathan Taylor here down the stretch. I did mention this on Saturday. The fact that, again, you built that 33 nothing lead some way, somehow. It was a special teams unit that sparked everything. Dallas Flowers had the opening kick return. Huge kick return, you had the block punt, you stopped a fake punt. Uh, whoever the new head coach is of the Indianapolis Colts, one of the first priorities for that head coach should be to try and retain Bubba Ventrone. 
Bubba Ventrone should be the interim. Should not be Jeff Saturday. You've you felt that way for a while, right? Bubba Ventrone should be the interim. Should be the head coach the final three weeks. Um, his unit has been one of the best in the NFL for all five seasons that he was been with Frank Reich. And, you know, I, I, I just think that's a huge priority for whoever the new head coach is. Um, love of Ventrone kind of carries himself. I think players really enjoy playing for him. And it's not just, you know, one facet here, one facet there. Um, it's coverage units. It's return units. And you know who continues to kick the ball really well? It's Chase McLaughlin. Is he the most important free agent yeah. the Colts have this offseason? I mean, he. you're right. He does. He's been a nice find for them in a year that there have not been many of those, right? Some were clamoring for McLaughlin to kick that field goal late instead of the QB sneak on fourth and inches. Uh, I was good at the QB sneak. It's just an absolute shame you can't get fourth and two inches. Well, you typically you want to go straight forward on those, right? Kind of t- turning to the side isn't really advantageous on a QB sneak. But h- how do you not? Uh, let me let me ask this again. Fourth and let's say you know a, f- a yard. Don't the Colts have? Didn't they make T-shirts and hats about how devastating their guard was on the left side? And aren't they paying a guy twenty million dollars a year? Shouldn't that shouldn't you be able to just go right on the hip of that for a foot? You would think. I mean, twenty million a year, Quentin. Man, you know I watched John Hanna. You're going to dominate for eighteen years in the league. I mean, you know, in terms of the offensive line, I'm beginning to think that there has been player regression in particular in the interior but i also think schematically they need something's just off something's just off with that line i mean yeah, you, you talk to people and they say the run game is very vanilla very boring not a lot of creativity i actually did think they tried to get pitman honestly on the edge a couple times of those end arounds those are some of the more successful plays but uh, yeah the run game i think they really miss jack doyle and the tight end position has been an issue and kind of sealing off those edges, but I do think there's just a lot of vanilla-ness to the you run know, game. Take a, and these guys are rare, admittedly, but look at like Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill in Kansas City, you know, we thought maybe it was just Andy Reid's innovation that that made Tyreek Hill Tyreek Hill. Then he goes to same thing, right? He goes to Miami and he's a dynamic playmaker, right? Like, how many guys, Kevin, on the Colts roster offensively speaking can you plug into any of let's say 80 percent of the teams in the league and they would be able to immediately be playmakers for said team how many guys probably taylor if people coveted what he does i i think Pittman would be able to go and start anywhere and then outside of that what do you have uh, I mean, okay. I don't get the Jelani Woods lack of usage. I, yeah, I, either. Yeah. He, he, you know, he, he catches two balls early on, and then another what big play on Saturday, right. and then he is the third. He was third in tight ends for snaps played on Saturday, behind Mo Ali Cox, behind Kylan Granson. And again, this comes off the heels of a great performance against the Steelers a few weeks ago. Uh, doesn't play the first few quarters against Dallas. Um, 
this has got to be a big part of the final few games of you know committing to the young guys. You know, a, a, a young guy that I thought flashed pretty well on Saturday was Dio Dangbo. Now he's in there a lot to do with injury with Tyquan Lewis being out for the year, but I think you've got to be open minded. And I'm not holding my breath that Jeff Saturday will operate like this. You've got to be open minded to playing some of these young guys. Dallas Flowers a little bit more at corner, even when you do get healthier at that position. Like I don't need to see Brandon Face on anymore. You'll play some of these young guys to try and see, okay, when you get to next year, do you have a few more pieces than it looks like you have? I think it's a great point from Greg. Everything that happened on Saturday was because of the limitations of the quarterback. The plays they called or were first forced to call are 100% because Ryan cannot make throws anymore. Yeah, that that there's no doubt. that. But here's the thing. They're going to kick that can again, possibly. No way. I, With Matt Ryan? No, 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 no. With another thirty-eight-year-old quarterback? Oh gosh, Aaron no. Rodgers. That's that's a nightmare. We can't. We can't. I, have. I know, but I'm telling you, you think I'm crazy? I mean, I don't see how they don't draft a quarterback this year. I I I don't see how, and I get it. You don't draft a quarterback just because you have to. I mean, you, but if they have one of those, if they can get one of those three guys, let's say, and you're saying Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, or Will Levis. Those are the three? Yeah. If you if you are in position and one of those three guys is there, I don't see how you don't take them. If they try, I'm telling you, you saw last night aerial footage of Buenos Aires after Argentina won the World Cup. That's what the streets of Indianapolis should look like of people flooding out to the streets. I'm not condoning any sort of devastation, by the way. Just, just to chant their disapproval their their disapproval if the Colts pass on one of those three guys and try to kick the can again on Mitchell Trubisky or Aaron Rodgers or I, I, you know give me the name of another quarterback that like is going to get let go Jameis Winston Jameis Jimmy Winston, G Derek Carr yeah any of them right Chris Ballard is afraid to draft a quarterback because he knows that once he does, he is truly on the clock. He said it himself. Oh, man, you guys just... I've never seen a general manager of a football or basketball franchise in a market that is this small and this soft that is more terrified of what people think about what he would prospectively do than Chris Ballard, by his own words and admission in press conferences, seems to be about the Indianapolis media once he drafts a quarterback. Y'all have been kicking the out of me for years are you surprised that Jim Mercer has signed off on that you know I, I think I mentioned this to you Jake a few weeks back Ursay's time as general manager saw a revolving door at quarterback correct correct and saw no success correct. of substance correct and yet he's let Chris Ballard operate in the same exact manner well Ursay has thing, seen firsthand but Ursay Manning and what luck do, Correct. did for a franchise. But, that has made no sense to me, how Ursay... Well, but Ursay also is a general manager. I think he was still the GM at this time. Ursay also is a general manager, Made traded multiple pieces to get the number one overall pick to take Jeff George. And because of the fact, I, I don't blame Jeff in this, but because of the fact that he had no line and no receivers, it never got going with Jeff George. And so I could see how he, as a general manager standpoint, would understand the difficulty of building around a quarterback that that you moved pieces for but again look at the AFC right now I, I know all the teams in the playoff picture 
either drafted that quarterback or that quarterback's a first-round pick. The, you know, here's All the thing. The Colts have to know also that they're screwed because look at the AFC South. I mean, Tennessee admittedly is backpedaling here, right? But they still have a dynamic back in Derrick Henry. And they have a young quarterback on the roster. I, you know, who knows if he's the guy, but they at least went out without needing a quarterback for this season. Yeah, the Colts don't have that. They went out and drafted a quarterback that seemingly they're going to be able to hand the reins over to and transition with. And they have a good coach that people believe in, right? Jacksonville, don't look now, but Jackson, whoever would have thought, and I said this last week, it's entirely possible next year heading into the off se- or, you know, heading into the season that the two sexy picks to make a big leap are going to be Jacksonville and Detroit. But Jacksonville is coming off of impressive wins over good teams. They're not Jacksonville just didn't put together a couple of decent games against, you know, Houston and Denver. I mean, they've beaten good teams here. And Trevor Lawrence in the last month has been arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. Number one in passing efficiency, number one in rating, number one in touchdowns. I mean, it's coming together for like it literally. This reminds me of, and I I, I hate to keep knocking on this low hanging fruit door, but it reminds me of all of a sudden when Peyton Manning, who had a disastrous rookie year, you could see before your very eyes when you're like, oh man, this guy just figured something out, and everything came together, and the Colts were off and running, and that's kind of. I, I, there still is a lot to be done to prove that that's what's happened in Jacksonville, but they're at least trending in the right direction. Well, if you're going to like rank the AFC South teams on levels of hope, Jake, the Colts have by far the least amount of hope. Yeah. Houston's got the number one pick. Houston's going to be drafting seemingly Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, whoever they want at number one overall. Um, as you mentioned, with the pairing of Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence, things look much, much more on the positive end for Jacksonville and you know Tennessee still has some pieces and again by no means am I saying Malik Willis is the guy but they at least have a potential guy the Colts don't even have that when you're bad and you're old at quarterback the season is is a failure and the Colts season is a failure and it's the most embarrassing season in Jim Mercer's ownership uh, we'll continue uh, to talk about not only this but obviously it was a busy weekend in sports on the college basketball front uh, the Pacers great starts really or I should say great kind of like first three quarters in each of their two games but they dropped both of those uh, in a pretty pretty memorable World Cup finale and Zach Kiefer going to join us at nine um, Zach's latest pretty long piece on Will Jim Mercer retain Chris Ballard? There are some Mercer comments in there, so we'll chat with Zach about that coming up at 9. Uh, for now, though, Morning Checkdown. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake, it was ugly for the Hoosiers inside of Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday afternoon. Trace Jackson Davis, an absolute non-factor. No ability to handle uh, the double teams. And then insult to injury, Xavier Johnson goes down late in the first half. Um, Some whispers that that could be a broken foot for Xavier Johnson. So we'll see how long he is going to miss for a team right now. Struggling uh, at that position, of course. Uh, Here was Mike Woodson afterwards on the big turnover number 
and Lawrence. You can't turn the ball over. I mean, 23 times against a good team, that's 23 times you don't get an opportunity to score the ball. And they they came in bunches. I mean, so that's something we got to clean up because we're not a big turnover team. You know, we came in the game averaging, I think, about 12 turnovers a game, which is comfortable. So, I mean, it's we just got to regroup. Was that a tape recorder underwater? What, what was there a dolphin? I think someone recorded it off their phone, off the TV. That's what it sounded. like. I think like. they were at the Lawrence Zoo yeah. in the dolphin exhibit there. <laughs> dolphin show <laughs> just I, started there. Do we have dolphin squeaking noises? I mean, I can find it. It's pretty easy. I've got all the animal sounds locked and loaded. Usually, I mean, it sounded like that should have been in the background along with Mike Woodson to decipher what he had to say. Thank you very much. I was going to say, I'm surprised that, it took that long. Mark. What that dolphin is saying right there is Trace Jackson Davis again. Unfortunately, showed why he is slipping in the. NBA draft if he were to be drafted. Uh, Was he ever climbing? I think he was. At the beginning of this year, I think he had worked his way into late first round area, but again, when he goes up against bigs that that can double him, he runs into a world of hurt, and he gets exposed a little bit. This one I usually have right away. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a bobcat? Yeah. I imagine that's the sound of Zach Eady after his 13 dunks each game. 29-16 and 16 for Eady on Saturday night. Purdue, in all likelihood, will be undefeated. Still ranked number one in the nation entering the month of January. New Orleans and Florida A&M left for Purdue in the non-conference. Not the prettiest of games by any means, but again, Eady has been the best player in college basketball this year. And I'll reiterate what I said earlier. You want to watch a team that can handle a double team? You want to watch a big guy play like an All-American? Watch Purdue and watch Zach Eady and don't watch Indiana and Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, five unbeatens left in college basketball, by the way. Mississippi State, Connecticut, New Mexico, Purdue, and Utah State are the five remaining. NBA so last Tino beat his dad. Did I see that on Saturday? Um, Richard. Did I say Connecticut? I did say Connecticut, right? Yeah, they beat Butler. Um, Richard Patino, an undefeated New Mexico, right? Oh, I didn't look to see if New Mexico won yesterday. I think they, they beat Rick. Okay. Um, so that puts the Lobo still as one of the unbeatens left. Uh, Knicks last night, 109. Thank you, Mark. 109-106 over the Pacers. Seven-game win streak for the Knicks. Pacers now on the road for three in a row. They return back Tuesday to the Fieldhouse. That's the 27th, a week from tomorrow, against Atlanta. Other winners in the NBA last night, Orlando, Brooklyn, Golden State, the Lakers, the Nuggets, and the Minnesota Timberwolves, who had 150 over the Bulls, 150-126. to a defensive matchup. We've got six NFL teams that have clinched a playoff berth. Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills, Vikings, 49ers, and Eagles. Still eight to go. How about that Raiders finish yesterday? Do we have the audio of the radio call of that for those that didn't see it? Gosh. The game... And who, game whose radio the line, call would we rather have? Yeah, the Raiders. Patriots or the, the Raiders? The Raiders radio call is really good. Is that Musburger? No, the Raiders radio call is um, Lincoln Kennedy is the analyst. Josh something is the color, the play-by-play man. Josh something. Um, that's that is his last name, something. I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, but for those who didn't see it, the Patriots were just, you know, the last play of the game. It's a tie game. The Patriots run a play. Which is not what teams do in a tie game. Teams right. don't go full lateral, band is out on the Correct. field. That's exactly but, what they were doing. But New England went rogue. Ramondre and, Stevenson and Jacoby Myers. And Jacoby Myers went rogue, and it did not go well. Do we have that audio, Mark? Yeah, I don't know which one this is. Okay, here we'll we go. Out. Mac Jones hands it off on a draw to Ramondre Stevenson. Breaks out of a tackle at the 50. Has the 45. Breaks away from another tackle. Pitches it backwards. And now Jacoby Myers spinning around. He throws it. 
to Chandler Jones in midfield. And a step forward. Chandler Jones racing towards the end zone. And scores. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe what I just saw. Again. I can't believe what I just saw. This is unbelievable. I got <laughs> Wow. On the first night of Hanukkah, it's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. That is beautiful. That is terrific. Did the Raiders deserve that for all the close losses this season? They know that you Josh McDaniels they know deserve that nothing. You picked them for the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> How about the Chandler Jones stiff arm on Mac Jones in midfield? I mean I have I that have entire radio play. call too if you want. Now is this the one that was off TV because it sounds terrible, but I don't know. All right, here we go. This is the Patriots. Patriots. By the radio way, call. by the way, to give to be fair, KOMP Raider Nation Radio is the flagship. That's who we just heard from. So now this is the other side of it from New England, right? Yeah. I'm, hopefully, it's better quality than what you just. Here we go. And on a third and ten, three seconds left. Jones will give it to Stevenson. He's trying to run. He runs it out the middle. And by Jalen Jones, slips the head of the 55. With a stick around. Off the tackle, number 40. He lost the football. And Jacoby Myers picks it up. He circles back and he throws it across the field. Oh, my God. He's By the way, Jason Horowitz is the play-by-play guy for the Raiders who had the Hanukkah reference. That's a great call by Jason Horowitz. Uh, that was Actually, that was a pretty good call from the Patriots radio network as well. You know what Patriots fans are saying? This is one of the darkest days in Boston sports history. <laughs> now, they've moved out of the playoff picture with that loss. So right now, if the playoffs were to start today, you'd have Chiefs versus Dolphins. Bills get the bye. Chiefs, Dolphins, Bengals, Chargers, Titans, Ravens. Sign me up for all those matchups. Yes, please. NFC, Eagles get the bye. Vikings, Commanders, 49ers, Giants. Bucks Cowboys. Tonight it's Packers Rams, so that will not impact those playoff matchups with three weeks to go. Um, Again, tonight the Colts are in six in the draft position. Cheer for the Rams. If the Rams beat the Packers, the Colts would climb to five with three weeks to go in the season. All right, busy weekend of sports. We'll hit on some other stuff when we come back. 317-239-1070 if you want to join the conversation. I was all in on that World Cup yesterday morning. It's pretty rare when you get such a hyped event from a global stage and then the game to live up to it. You know, I think of the Brady Mahomes Super Bowl from a few years ago, and it was the old guard and the new guard, and here's the matchup and two weeks of buildup, and the game was an absolute dud. And in soccer world, that was what yesterday was. Honestly, it's probably even more of a storyline considering Messi had not yet won a World Cup, and... Him and Kylian Mbappe. Yep. Incredible. Incredible performance by those two. Stars played like stars. Yeah, and just like usually in soccer, and again, this is probably me being a little bit of a soccer novice, but like I feel like you usually have one team that just kind of sits back mm-hmm. and plays a little scared. Never got that feeling. Even when Argentina had the 2-0 lead, I still felt like they were they were attacking. Uh, I thought it was a thrilling, thrilling you game. You know, Kevin, you went to Cathedral, right? Yes, sir. Cathedral has, you know, they're great in a lot of sports, but one of the sports where Cathedral is really good is volleyball, right? 
And if you ever watch the sport of volleyball, it's a fairly nerve-wracking sport because I do believe in momentum. And in volleyball, teams can get momentum, like the serving team can get a momentum that it feels like you're watching the roof cave in on one of the two teams and there's nothing they can do to stop it. And then all of a sudden the pendulum swings and the other one gets momentum and it's a very momentum-riddled game. So it's kind of nerve-wracking to watch. And that's what the end, the last probably 40% of that World Cup final felt like. It was a pendulum of momentum swings where it felt like one team was in complete control for like two or three minutes. And they'd get a couple shots on goal and then all of a sudden they would clear it out and go the other way. And you're like, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now the other one's on their heels. And both it felt like both teams were literally hanging on for dear life. You know, I, I get the fact if there was a – and it's a soccer novice point to make. I totally understand that. For some reason, it didn't bother me as much, maybe because the play had been so good and so exciting over the home stretch. It does seem still odd to me to have the the biggest – you know, I, I think we can say the biggest sporting event in the world – come down to penalty kicks because although the goaltender for Argentina made two really great diving stops you know a lot of times those penalty kicks just feels like whichever way the the goaltender it's a 50-50 which way he leans but it was still exciting to watch it that way but I, I I go back to it I know this is Look, this is the ugly American naive stereotypical answer. I totally get it. There is the part of me that's like, man, I can't imagine if the NBA finals went to double overtime, nobody won, and so it comes down to like a free throw contest. I but there is defense that comes into play. I get it. Those guys are um, pretty exhausted on the pitch. I, I get it. I, I get it, Kevin, but both teams are. You know, there is part of me. I, I understand that that aspect. I do, but Whichever team is deeper and more conditioned, in the end, that if you were to go to just continued sudden death, I get the argument of, look, the teams are too tired for that. Well, that fatigue is going to cause one team to slip up and give up a goal, and it would be the team that is in the that has the less physical condition depth of the other. I kind of enjoy the drama of penalty kicks. I, I get it. I mean, it is it's dramatic for sure. You see and the you, pressure on those guys too. Oh, like the totally. French guy just completely whiffed on one, just missed the goal entirely. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, totally. Do you imagine having that? And like Messi on walking up there, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, what is he thinking right now? And I think was it Messi or Mbappe that just kind of like you were expecting? I think it was Messi. So yeah, Messi was like, real patient, did the hesitation, and and then he just kind of think. Yeah, just a in, little yeah. bit to the yeah, left, just kind of tapped it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mbappe yeah. went same time, same place every time. That mm-hmm. kind of lower left and was outstanding with those. Speaking of volleyball, this is from Pat. Shout out here, Ron Colley alum Emma Halter with the national championship for Texas played a big role. I believe Texas beat. I guess it was at Louisville, maybe the national championship over the weekend. Um, Again, you know, it, it had the feel that World Cup final of, and obviously w- we never got this, but it would have been like a LeBron Jordan game seven double overtime, and they each got fifty. I mean that that's that was the soccer equivalent, um, I guess the basketball equivalent to what we got in the World Cup final. 
Um, I guess the, you know, the, the funny thing about sports, and in particular now in the world we live in, is, you know, oftentimes, like, you go one day, there are so many sporting events taking place, like that World Cup kind of made you forget at least momentarily about the nightmare of the Colts game the day before, <laughs> right? And then and then you go right from that into the NFL games. I, I watched a good portion of Philadelphia and Chicago. Um, Mark, you had to be frustrated because Chicago didn't look terrible, right? I mean, they were... No, but, I mean, it was an expected result. But, yeah, I mean, Justin Fields there on, like, their fourth their fourth wide receiver was their number one wide receiver because they've had so many injuries and whatnot. So, Justin Fields basically had that team on his on his back as he's had all seems like the bears have had these really entertaining losses seventh seventh one score loss all season so and again for the colts if you look at the draft order right now the colts sit there at sixth you have the eagles above them that pick is coming from the uh or not the eagles you have the um the bears above them um and obviously you would not think that the bears are going to be in the uh quarterback market um you could make the argument you know, we'll see about Arizona. Um, another thing to think about is the Broncos and the Rams play each other next week. So obviously one of those teams has to lose. I guess they could tie. Uh, but there's a chance if the Colts continue to lose that they will move into the top five. And honestly, if they would have won on Saturday, they would have dropped, I think, all the way to ninth, maybe tenth. So that was that was just a huge result for, for draft order. As long as you can live with the embarrassment... Of the biggest blown lead in NFL history, that was they the, almost screwed it up. That was the exact result you wanted. They Pure entertainment, screwed it up. Great drama and a loss. They tried their hardest to screw that up, didn't they? But man, in the end, in the end, the Colts did the right thing. And the weird thing was, Minnesota was literally playing for a tie at the no end of eight, question at the end of overtime. I mean that. Minnesota would have clinched the NFC North with a tie. They're like slowly moving the ball. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, the Colts are going to allow us to get in the field goal range. I guess we might as well go for the win. I mean, you got to figure that delay of game. Like, I will give them credit. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a delay of game called because they basically jumped on top of Jefferson so that he couldn't get up to like get the ball back to the line of scrimmage. <laughs> 11 penalties for the Colts. Pretty undisciplined effort out of Jeff Saturday's This one tweet that Aaron passed along to us has just blew my mind. It says, The Vikings had nine first downs with three minutes and 52 seconds to go in the third quarter. They finished with 32. Amazing. That is remarkable. You know, I mean, JoJo Doman had as many touchdowns as the Colts' offense on Saturday. When you have... The Vikings do have the ability it's funny because you don't think of Kirk Cousins as that dynamic game you know changing pace setting quarterback but Justin Jefferson allows any quarterback to kind of be that guy right he was incredible Gilmore had some moments early on in that game and then Jeff Jefferson just made Gilmore look silly the rest of the way who's that Mark who was that Kevin what did you say who did you say Stefan Gilmore oh I think I might have a drop for that. I have to find it, but I have it. Come on, Mark. I know. We didn't have a meeting. Well, he didn't have an interception. How do you not have that just sitting right there for all of us? I know. Come I on. It was Uh-oh. a good stall by you. Sound like my daughter trying to stay up for another 30 minutes. This one for Mr. Gilmore. Ah, there it is. Dalvin Cook, some big plays as well. I mean, Minnesota, extremely potent at the skill positions. But, again, the Colts passing offense against the worst Passing defense in the NFL. Matt Ryan with one of the worst games of his career. And we'll see. Some more national whispers on that front. 
about Nick Foles uh, potentially entering the game. Jeff Saturday was very noncommittal on the quarterback decision yesterday during his conference call. Um, so we'll monitor that quarterback change potentially coming up. Zach Kiefer's going to join us in 10 minutes. And Zach caught up with Jim Mersey recently and asked him about Chris Ballard returning in 2023. Not sure if the answer is exactly what Colts fans want to hear, but we'll chat with Zach about that here in about 10. I love this tune. I need to watch Home Alone. Still haven't watched that this year. Oh my it's usually my middle daughter is obsessed with Home Alone. Annual tradition Absolutely for me. Obsessed. She got a kick out of uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Did you see he had the, yeah. the wet bandits uh-huh. on his shoes? She thought that was the greatest thing ever. I love that. By the way, do you know how old Brenda Lee was when that song was recorded? Wasn't, was she, she was like a teenager, like 15 or 16 or something crazy like that. 13. I, thought, I, I was going to say, I thought it was younger than that. Yeah. yeah, 13 years old. Wild. Uh, all right, let's do our fan tweet of the game. As always, Mark Dykton fires it off a few minutes after the final gun goes off. In five words or less, describe the Colts' result. Post game headlines. There you go. Now you can. This one to me, I don't know if it's politically correct. Probably not. Did you guys see the um, RK tweeted this? Did you see the picture of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky? I did see that one. Yeah, yeah. On Clinton, the words were huge leads, and on Monica Lewinsky, the words were Matt Ryan. <laughs> And they were side by side, and I'll let everyone else kind of fill in the blank from there. Clark's side of the moon said rare air, really rare air. Colts in the Christmas spirit was from Adrian. Uh, can we forfeit the final three game? Forfeit the final three? S. Marshall. Uh, inappropriate RK also said this loss was lower quartile. I like this from Joe Hall. I expect no less from Joel. Worst officiated NFL game ever. <laughs> it, it was a horrifically officiated. That is so true. It was a horrible weekend for officials all day. Uh, and our, the Vikings got screwed a couple times. I mean, the Colts did too, but the Vikings much more than the Colts. News legend, our former co-worker Stan Lear. Colts rally for draft position. Stan, Stan's always consistent with this. Uh, from Juan, Maddie Ice is now Maddie Melted. Mm-hmm. It's a solid <laughs> That's holiday not bad. reference. That's not bad. Benjamin, at least we saw history. Again, I mean, that was textbook by Jeff Saturday, guys. This is pretty good from Garrett. I mean, who does that? <laughs> That's pretty. Craig, thank you very much. Uh, Jason, Saturday eliminated from coaching consideration. <laughs> I, I hear you, but then I think to myself, is he? I like this from Walter. It doesn't even hurt anymore. <laughs> So true. From tall, Maddie Iceberg Titanic. Oh, jeez. Aaron, made history. Hang a banner. This is good from Tom. Payback for Manning years. I think there are a lot of people outside of Indianapolis that probably feel that way, right? Yeah, we got a lot of the rare airs, Mark. Anthony, it's rare air indeed. That was a popular one. The rare air and the upper quartiles are getting a lot of play. That's rare air. I'm trying to incorporate Michael Jordan into some of those. Do you know, well, do you know how many games he's lost? Right. How many mm-hmm. games that's, Michael that's Jordan's Wizards lost? Jordan. You know how many shots Michael Jordan's missed? You know how many games Michael Jordan's lost? Exactly. Zach Kiefer's going to join us in a few. Will Colts owner Jim Mersey bring back 
GM Chris Boward in 2023? It's a question I threw to Ursay back when Frank Reich was fired. Um, he was very staunch in backing Ballard in that moment. Uh, I believe Zach has talked with him since, and there are some comments on the record from Jim Ursay on that front. I'm curious just when exactly these comments occurred, uh, because again, we've seen Ursay this year publicly back people and then fire them a week or two later. I like um, from Back to the Future. Somebody sent the meme of Marty saying, "Hey, I've seen this one." <laughs> People are very funny. They are. That's the beauty of. To be honest with you, I, I know that so Twitter has its. Um, oh, I love Twitter. Well illustrated weaknesses and concerns at this point in in certain areas, but one thing it does do is shows it, it has shown that. There are a lot of funny people out there, man. Sense of humor alive and well and the most embarrassing. Station he had with Jim Irsay regarding Chris Ballard and much more. Coming up next here, Kevin and Corey, 9 o'clock hour. The uh, Matt Taylor OGs, I feel like, is a very accurate description in how that second half unfolded. I, I can't be the only one. Again, at halftime, I looked at the money line. For the Vikings, I think I tweeted out late third quarter. This is going to be a football game in the fourth. Like it just, what was it at? It was plus thirty five hundred, ten bucks to win three fifty. Put any? On? I trust me. I thought about it. I did not. I regretted that I didn't look. I know a lot of people put. I think the Vikings were plus twenty seven and a half or something like that at that point. A lot of people put money on that. Of course, that was a very easy cover. Uh, but it just—I I don't know if we have scar tissue from this season, guys, but. It just it felt like that was going to become a football game, and w- w- when Cousins threw the pick, I'm like, okay, that that's it. You know, a team can't come back from 33 down. Never happened in NFL history, of course, and throw an interception, and yet they still overcame that. In the end, truly epic. In the end, it it was a colossal collapse, a historic collapse. But in the end, all's well that ends well. Frankly, because had they won that game, what would we be saying this morning? I think ninth in draft position, yeah. Jake. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, as long as you doing? can live with the embarrassment. And again, it's it's not a big section of the fan base, but I think there are some people out there, Jake, that are like, that was so embarrassing. It pisses me off to the nth degree, and I hate that. That now that's going to be brought up every single time you see a team with a big lead, and all the memes on Sunday with the Argentina blowing the lead. I mean, the Colts logo and the Argentina flag. I mean, it was a field day. I, I want to know, and we can ask Zach this. I would like to know whether or not that particular fashion in which the Colts have lost in a year that has been an utter disappointment for the Colts. We'll ask Zach Kiefer, who joins us now on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Zach, of course, you read his work at... The Athletic, one of the premier cover guys for the Colts, uh, he and Stephon Gilmore, I guess. But, Zach, my question for you is this. Does the manner in which the Colts lost that game in any way, shape, or form finally turn the corner of Jim Irsay, you know, who is who was kind of – I thought Jim Irsay has kind of been – apologetic's the wrong word, but patient, I guess, with the – in my opinion, self-inflicted ter- turns of this season. But was that the one that finally Jim Mercy's had enough? I think so, Jake. I think you're on to something. I don't think you can look at this team any other way than 
something's broken. Like something is terribly wrong. And and it starts with the head coach, and we've talked a lot about that. But like you don't get blown out fifty five to zero in the fourth quarter in two consecutive weeks. That's a combined score, fifty five to zero, unless something is terribly, terribly wrong. And and I think it was obvious before the trip to Minnesota, but it's even more obvious now whether they will admit it or not. This is not an answer. This is not a solution. This is not a coach that's, that's going to be able to fix this. Um, and I did, I did have a story up this morning, and I talked to Jim Irsay recently, and I have to mention that this was before the trip to Minnesota. But Jim Irsay seems to be of the understanding that he wants to bring Chris Ballard back. Um, now, he hasn't gone as far as saying that about Jeff Saturday, but like, don't you guys think there is absolutely no way, no way in the world, like not even 1%, that you can sell a Jeff Saturday coaching hire on a permanent basis. Zach, I want to focus uh, on, on what you just brought up there. Your latest, again, will Colts owner Jim Mersey bring GM uh, Chris Ballard back in 2023? Um, just a little snippet of that piece. This is a quote from Ursay to you. I think a lot of Chris, young GMs make mistakes. He's been up against it. The number one component is he's an outstanding talent evaluator. He has this Polian-esque touch in the draft room. There have been some things people don't realize you have to learn as a general manager. You just don't get it overnight. I feel very confident in where we're going. Um... If you don't mind me asking, like, when, again, I, I know you said before the Vikings game. Was it after the Cowboys game? Was it in between the Cowboys-Vikings game when you had that combo? Yeah, I think so. Um, and, and I think that's interesting. Like, if you read the quote again, like, he mentioned the drafting. And there's certainly been some great draft picks. Certainly. But I think the overarching issues right now are, are not necessarily with the draft picks. And you can be picky at some of them for sure. They've, Chris Bowers never drafted a pass rusher that's had more than six sacks in a season. And we're on six years now. Um, but the reality is, I think Jim Irsay is losing trust in those around him. Whether he'll admit that or not, I think it's obvious in the moves that have been made over the last calendar year, going back to the Carson Wentz decision, that was Jim Irsay. And then moving into this year, the benching of Matt Ryan, that was Jim Irsay. And I can guarantee you, the hiring of just Saturday was again a Jim Irsay move. So, it feels like he believes in Chris Ballard in some areas, starting with the draft room, but not so much others. And that's going to be fascinating because who's ultimately going to make the decision when it comes to who's the next head coach? I think we all know that answer. And I ask, you know, when that conversation was because we remember, I think, right before the Washington game, you know, Ursay did kind of the national tour to try and put out some of the fires there of, no, I, I believe in Frank Reich, this and that. And then they have the embarrassing performance in blowing that lead at home to a backup quarterback in Washington, another embarrassing performance in Foxborough, and then Frank Reich's fired. Well, if you look at the Colts the last two weeks, you give up, or you're outscored by 33 in the fourth quarter to Dallas. First time in 97 years an NFL team has done that. And then the first time ever in NFL history, more than a century, that you blow as big of a lead as they did on Saturday. I, it comes to the point, Zach, where I feel like this season has gone from disappointing in the fact that you had the big expectations and you're not sniffing those, and now it's embarrassing. And when you have these embarrassments on national television – Knowing Ursay, and again, Ursay's Ursay, so I probably shouldn't be too, too confident in this, but embarrassing, that's where I think this could teeter in cleaning house. And I, de- I didn't necessarily think he might do that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and those of us that have worked in this market, they know 
this can change very, very quickly, very quickly. And it has. And what Jim Mercer says today on December 16th or whatever, it, it won't really matter come January 10th after that Houston Texans game at week 18. That's what really matters is how that process plays out. It's one thing to say it in November and December. It's another thing to actually do it. We've seen this before. He said the same thing about Ryan Gerson back in the 2016 season. He had given no thought of firing him after the season. He made the move. He said the same thing about Frank Reich earlier this season, and then Frank was fired. So absolutely do not take this as a cement proposal that, that Hirschfeld is going to be back because owners change their minds. But I think you bring up a really good point. Like, how could you watch the second half of that game and think this team is on the right track? I mean, every fan out there that was brave enough to watch that collapse knows what's wrong and knows this is going nowhere. They're going to have to figure that out, and it, it's messy. And, and you guys know this franchise. You've been around it for a long time. I can't think of a time when the, the, the future of this team is as murky as it is right now. You had terrible seasons in 11 and 17 and 19 to a degree. But there was always a built-in excuse. There's no excuse this time, other than they've screwed this up. And there's no and young hope at quarterback. Exactly. And, there, and there's no waiting at. There's no number one pick waiting for you in the spring. So who's going to be figuring that out in the coming months? That remains to be seen. But, but Jim Irsay does think highly of Chris Ballard. I know that for a fact. Zach, here's my thing. And I want you to tell me if you think that this sentiment might be one that, that – is percolating around 56th Street. I don't dispute that Chris Ballard is probably a good judge of talent, and I think he's had good draft picks. Evaluating talent and plucking players that you think will be good NFL players is one thing. Figuring out how they mesh with one another to properly build a roster that is symbiotic in terms of all pieces being able to move in one fluid motion is completely another and the latter is the part where I think Chris Ballard has yet to be able to prove his medal. I think he's good at evaluating talent. I think he is so far subpar at putting those pieces together to make a perfect jigsaw puzzle. Your thoughts? Yeah, here's how I would put it. He's built good rosters, but he's never built a good team, a great team, right? And that's what you need. Um, and, and look, this is not complicated. The quarterback has killed them. It has absolutely killed them the last two years. They swung and missed on Carson Wentz. They swung and missed on Matt Ryan. The, the, the offense needed, like Quentin Nelson was just livid in the locker room Saturday afternoon, staring at the floor in disbelief. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you be in disbelief of what you just witnessed? And he said, we just needed one touchdown in the second half. They had nine offensive possessions, and they didn't get score a single touchdown. And that, how many times have we heard that, like this season? So, um, no, your, your point is valid, Jake, and it's, it's more valid every single game that passes. Like, I do think there's talent on this team. They hung with the Cowboys through three quarters. They could have beat the Eagles, who have one loss in late December. And they could have beat the Vikings, who are a very fraudulent 11-3. and But nonetheless, they would have beat the crap out of them if they had finished that game. But this team cannot finish, and they don't have that killer instinct. And they... They just have something missing. There's just something missing. And, and obviously the coaching plays a huge role in it, but the way this team was constructed is just, it's, it's so flawed right now, and it's so obvious every single week. When you have huge issues at pass rush, left tackle, and quarterback, 
you're not going to win in this league. I don't think there's any three positions that are more vital in the way the game is played right now. And they just have continued to miss those positions. See, to me, Chris Ballard's a genius because by just kicking the can and going out and getting another 38-year-old quarterback, if there's even the thought they're going to do that next year, then you're always a year away. Well, you know, you can't evaluate everything because they, you know, they don't have a good young quarterback yet. And next year, when they get a quarterback, they're re- you know, they look out, and then you just keep recycling, and boom, you just bought yourself another uh, year of of having to pay the rent. I think it's brilliant, brilliant on his behalf. <laughs> right? There's no way, Zach. There, would you agree with this? There is no way he does not draft a quarterback this year in the first round. Yeah, yeah. Don't overcomplicate it. Ursay wants to get a quarterback. I don't want to hear, like... Ursay might, might just mandate franchise. it. Yeah, he might. I mean, why not? Like, I don't want to hear, like, you could screw up your franchise for five years if you pick the wrong guy. Like, that is not going to work. That excuse is not going to work. Yeah, especially it's six time. years in, right? I mean... <laughs> You're going to have a sixth pick or a fifth pick. Like, it's time to roll the dice. It's, it's time to, 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 to get in the game and stop sitting on the sidelines. And Zach Kiefer's with us here from the Athletics. Zach's latest, some great detail in here, just on will Colts owner Jim Irsay bring back GM Chris Ballard in 2023. It's a must-read over on the Athletic. Um, I don't know if you saw this report over the weekend, Zach, from ESPN, but basically it was the NFL kind of sending a memo to teams around the league about you know, when you're firing these head coaches and GMs, that money is a gargantuan amount. Part of me is like, who cares? These are owners. It's their money. It's not like it's impacting the salary cap. Do with it what they want to do with it. Uh, and in Jim Irsay's case, uh, the article mentioned that he is now paying Frank Reich $9 million, That is annually for the next four seasons. So math on that front. Jake helped me figure this out after his algebra final went so well. Mm-hmm. $36 million total for Frank Reich. Um, do you think in any way, shape, or form Jim Irsay cares about the finances of potentially firing Chris Ballard in the same year he fires Frank Reich and would have to pay him over the next four years? Or do you think it's more of an ego thing in that, man, I just gave these dudes contract extensions 15 months ago. I don't want to have to fire and both of them. And they're his guys. They're guys he picked. Right, and then extended. Um, do you think it's more ego or more finance? I think it's something else. I think it's, well, partly, if if he fires Chris Ballard, that means he's starting completely over. So Jake's point is valid about ego. And, I mean, remember what he said. And this is Ursay. This is Ursay. We all know this. But he said, we have the best cube, we have the best head coach GM tandem in the league. That was 15 months ago when he handed out those extensions. Best GM hire of the 21st century is what he called Ballard. Right, and that's in the story. And, and look, that's typical hyperbole from Ursa. We all understand that. Everybody in this town knows that. But if he was to move on from his GM, that means he is starting over from scratch for the first time in 2012. That means the last five years has been an abject failure, and that would be him admitting that. So to Jake's point, that's true. I think that's part of it. To your point, KB, about the financials, I, I'm fascinated by this because that is not a small amount of money, even for Jim Ursay. Even for Jim Irsay, $36 million to Frank Reich, you're going to have to pay a new coach. If you chase Jim Harbaugh, you're going to have to pay him a lot more, a lot more than you paid your head coaches when they were hired the first time. Remember, Chuck Pagano got a very measly contract when he was first hired in 2012. He was a coordinator. Frank Reich, same type of thing. Now, their contract extensions were more lucrative. But Jim Irsay does not have a history of paying his coaches 
a lot when they first arrive here. That's going to be fascinating. And again, who's, who's making the decision? How much personnel control does this coach want? All those things go into the contract as well. So it's just going to be interesting because Jim Mercer, the words are one thing, but his actions are going to speak much louder. How frustrated is he? Well, he's going to have to answer that in January when he goes out and finds a new coach. Yeah, again, and I think similar to Gregson and Pagano in that 20-whatever, that would have been after the 2015 season, I just think there was an element of ego where he didn't want to admit he was wrong on both. And there was the emotional tie to Chuck, obviously, and that's why he held on for one more year. Chris Ballard didn't want Chuck Pagano as his head coach, but yet Ursay didn't want to pull the trigger on both of them in that same cycle. I almost have that feeling here with... Ballard in that I don't think he wants to do but again maybe the embarrassment of the last two weeks will supersede all yeah. of that but th- that's kind of where my thought process is yeah that's totally fair and I've had the same thought and and you're right like maybe Dallas 33 to zero in the fourth quarter and maybe a 36 to three second half in Minnesota changes his mind maybe that's enough to push him over the edge and say it's over it's done but maybe it doesn't and like you said if if Chris Ballard is back, that means he's leading his fourth different head coach in Indianapolis, assuming it's not Jeff Saturday. And in my opinion, it shouldn't be. That's that's wild. Four different head coaches for a general manager, Chuck Pagano, Frank Reich, Jeff Saturday, TBD. That is something that not a lot of GMs can say. Now, some will survive that. Howie Roseman was famously banished to the wrong side of the building in Philadelphia. He has come back with a flurry and has the best team in football right now. So it's been done before. It's a little bit um, – it, 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 GMs can do that. Steve Kime has been through a lot of GMs in Arizona. But still, it has to make you think, when are they going to get this right? I've thought about this, Zach. I know this will stun you, Zach <laughs> Kiefer, but sometimes I overthink things. Um, <laughs> so I want to know – I want you to tell me if I've overthought this. I think that Jim Mercer made a big error this year. He made a big tactical error. And I love Jeff Saturday. I think we all like him as a guy. But where he erred was if Jim Mercer truly wanted to find out how much of this year's problem was coaching, then he would have removed Frank Reich and replaced him with a guy that had some sort of a proven acumen as a coach, even on the interim level, because then you would truly be able to have a variable by which to compare and find out just how good your roster is. But now, by putting Jeff Saturday in there, who was learning on the job as well from a head coaching standpoint, we're still left with no greater answer because we still don't know. Is it coaching or is it roster? Because we've gone from a coach that you wanted to remove to replace him with a coach that we don't know how good a coach he is. And now you're double screwed. I I like that, Jake. That's really dead on. I've been thinking about that for a couple of weeks. We all like Jeff Saturday, right? It's easy to like him. It's easy to see why he was such a great Colt for all those years. But they set him up to fail. They absolutely set him up to fail. And I don't want to hear about the Raiders game. The Raiders were a mess. And, and that was nothing more than a sugar high in early November. Reality has set in. This team didn't need an ESPN commentator to come in and coach the team. They needed a, a coach who's going to fix the passing game, right? Let's go back to mid-October. The Colts are 3-2-1, and one, and Alec Pierce had just scored a walk-off game winner against the Jaguars. 
Now let's think about what what it needs what it needs to take to win the AFC South this year. It's not going to take eleven or twelve wins. It, it might take nine. They were very much in a winnable division, which we knew all along. And what happened the following week after that Jacksonville win? They went to Tennessee and they got beat. And Jim Mercer panicked. He benched Matt Ryan. He made Sam Ellinger the starter. They lost two more. And he made it worse by firing Frank Reich. Now, I'm not saying Frank should have stayed. I'm not saying the problems weren't there. But to put Jeff Saturday in that position over some other guys who have been head coaches before, in a lot of ways it was a slap in the face, not only to the coaching staff, but to the entire building. It it was a very unserious move, in my opinion. And I think, and I'm just guessing here, this is me speculating, I think Jim Irsay thought this was going to be a lauded move. Like, I think he thought the fan base would love this. Agree. The, the players would love I agree. This. And you could tell by Chris Ballard's reaction that night that he didn't love this at all. He didn't want to be in that room at all. And and as the weeks have gone by, it's kind of interesting to ask the players in the locker room, like, they're tiptoeing this line, right? Like, they all love Jeff Saturday. He's, he's a great football guy. Like, he is. That doesn't mean he's a head coach. And that doesn't mean you get to skip the line like he did in terms of learning how to coach a team from a head coaching position. And, and these guys will be asked about it. Like, you know, how is Jeff as a coach? And I'll ask these guys in the locker room, and they'll say, man, he's, he's a great leader. You know, he's fiery. He gets after us. But what about the coaching part? And that's not Jeff Saturday's fault, and I'm never going to hold him accountable for that because this is not his fault. This is the people that made the decision above him that put him in this position. And to answer your, your question, Jake, they put him in a terrible position and if you wanted to find out if Jeff Saturday was really an answer at head coach, this is not how you do it. Yeah, Ursay thought it was a Hollywood fairy tale that you know he was doing here. Oh, let's go back to that era, you know, of great of great success and exactly. all of that. And then you just watch Jeff on the sidelines on Saturday. It, it's it's always talking to Bubba Ventrone. I mean, it's it's so reliant on others, which again, to a degree, you understand it, considering where he was coming from. Um, Zach, really appreciate the time and you you know kind of shifting days with us here. Um, I'll, I'll end with this. Just take us inside that locker room on Saturday afternoon. I mean, it's the biggest blown lead in NFL history. Uh, what was the atmosphere like? Yeah, the crazy part, KB, is none of them knew the historical implications. None of them knew it was the biggest collapse in NFL history. And I, I told them that, and I asked them how, how they responded to that. And their answers were muted, and you know, usually it was one word. Paris Campbell called it embarrassing. Julian, Julian Blackman said the same thing. I heard the word ashamed. Quentin Nelson said that was insane, and he didn't mean it in a good way. And, and DeForest Buckner is probably the guy that was the most devastated. I mean, he's picking a scab off his knee, his, his leg's bloody, and this dude's playing maybe the best season of his career, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter one iota because this team is absolutely crumbling, and he's just at a loss. Like, I asked him, where does this, where does this gone wrong? And, and these guys, they don't have an answer. Like, these guys are still playing. Like, I really believe that. You don't go up 33-0, to zero with a special teams touchdown and a defensive touchdown if you're just coasting into the offseason. But that's maybe the worst part for these guys. I hear Franklin talked about that. Like, they're putting everything they have on the line, but the infrastructure and the leadership of this team has really sabotaged the end of this season. And that's sad for guys like, you know, Paris is having a great year. Well, a pretty good year, and he's been healthy. And DeForest and Zaire, and it doesn't matter because um, this season just needs to end. 
Again, Zach's latest, will Colts owner Jim Irsay bring back GM Chris Ballard in 2023? Per usual, a great read on The Athletic from Zach. Uh, Zach, we'll see you out there, uh, I guess, this week. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and the girls. Merry Christmas, guys. Thanks for having me. That's Zach Kiefer right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Jake, I think there's an element in evaluating Jeff Saturday that you have to look at what Steve Wilkes is doing in Carolina. Yeah. And Steve Wilkes took over when Matt Rule got fired 1-4. and four. By no means are the Panthers some you know, juggernaut. But you know what? They've gone 4-5 and five with Steve Wilkes. And if they went out their final three games, they've already beat Tampa once. They went out. They will host a playoff game. They will end the NFC. They will win the NFC South. Whereas the Colts sit here in an equally as pathetic division, and with their interim head coach, they are now one and four with blown leads of historical proportions, and they are not in any position to take advantage of a division that is sitting there on a platter with the seven and seven Titans having lost four straight and the six and eight Jags. One game behind them. The Colts do not want two things here, a good and a bad for the Colts. The good for the Colts is that Carolina has found some footing because that's a team that if they were drafting in front of the Colts would absolutely take a quarterback, right? The the bad for the Colts is that not seizing the opportunity in this year where suddenly the division is opened up is allowing Jacksonville to start gaining confidence. And if Jacksonville gets into the playoffs – which isn't as far-fetched as you might think. If Jacksonville gets into the playoffs with that young core, young running back, young you know, young defensive line that's pretty nasty, and a surging quarterback, you don't want Jacksonville getting that taste of success and getting that experience to be able to build off of moving forward when they're in your division. And again, if I were Jim Mercer, that stuff would matter to me. Like, putting the embarrassment to the side for a second, the fact that that division that you haven't won since 2014, is it's a golden opportunity right now to be in. I mean, honestly, if you just would have held on to Saturday, for example, and, and won one other game, and I know the Colts wins, you can point to, they easily could have lost several of those. Tennessee is begging someone to take this division from them. No doubt. Begging. No doubt. Begging. And Jacksonville sitting there saying, all right, we're going to do it. Epic game for the Jags on Sunday and beating Dallas. And uh, they get Tennessee at home again this season. Uh, and if they win that one, that could be huge. And then capturing the AFC South. Um, all right, no pop quiz per usual on Mondays. Recapping Colts games. We still want to get to uh, one of the Colts star players. Sounds like his season will be over. But for now, let's do a morning check down. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We'll begin with the NFL Draft. As a matter of fact, the Colts, as Kevin had mentioned, after their loss on Saturday, now sixth, is where they are slotted in terms of the draft. The latest mock draft, obviously those things can't necessarily be trusted, but... Go Rams tonight, by the way. That would put the Colts, if they are drafting sixth, Behind Houston, Chicago, Seattle, Arizona, and Detroit. That would put the Colts with a third quarterback available and Will Levis of Kentucky with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud both going in the top three. Question becomes, does Chicago trade out or does Detroit feel like they need a quarterback? 
But that's where the Colts stand right now, sixth in the draft. Worth order. noting, Jake, in that order, you mentioned Seattle at three, Detroit at five. Those picks come courtesy of Denver is sending their pick to Seattle, and the Rams are sending their pick to Detroit. So those are the teams you need to watch out for, Denver and the Rams, in terms of rooting interest. That's why tonight, if the Rams go into Lamb, it's in Lambeau, right? Yes. At Lambeau. Um, if they beat the Packers, the Colts would be fifth. In the draft position, heading into the final three weeks of the season, how how good is the situation in Detroit? Though you traded, you know, you made that trade with Stafford. Here you are; your things are coming together for you. You're 500, and you've got two of the top 18 picks in the draft right now. And Houston's got two in the top 13. How about Philly? They've lost one game, and they have the ninth overall yeah. picks. <laughs> Thanks to New Orleans last season. Uh, Pacers lose a couple this weekend. They lose Friday in Cleveland. Sunday against the Knicks. Blue leads in both of those games late. I thought the one yesterday was particularly stinging. Uh, Miles Turner really struggled from the field and the foul line in that one. Chance to kind of expand on a lead late in that game. The Pacers could not do it. We did see the return of Chris Duarte. Um, He was back after missing a month and a half. Um, So Duarte is a guy that obviously... We'll see where he kind of fits into this puzzle. He had six points in 15 minutes. Pacers are at Celtics on Wednesday and at the Heat on Friday. Thank you, Mark. Uh, college basketball, there are five unbeatens remaining. That would be New Mexico, Utah State, Connecticut, Mississippi State, and the Boilers of Purdue. Purdue still number one in the country, as you had mentioned, Kevin. Looks like they will be to round out the year because they have New Orleans and who was the other one left? Florida A and M. Florida A and M left. Um, How about Zach Eady on Saturday? Twenty-two. And I'll tell you what. Give credit to Davidson. They stuck around and you know made it interesting. But again, Purdue making the plays and free throws down the stretch to hold off for an eight-point win over Davidson. But Zach Eady continues to be a difference maker, right? Twenty-nine and sixteen for Ed. He's been the best player in college basketball this season. The same cannot be said, certainly for the Indiana Hoosiers. They get rolled at Allen Fieldhouse, eighty-four sixty-two. Again, they're all American big guy, not playing like that this season, and just an inability from a team standpoint to take advantage of the attention that Trace Jackson Davis draws. And Jake, now we're on injury watch with Xavier Johnson. Um, rumor is a broken foot on that. I tell you what, my my concern when it happened, I was watching it, and, and the way that he... he that was kind of awkward. I thought, and I knock on wood, I certainly hope I'm wrong, and it looks like I am. I I thought it was an Achilles. Yeah. Because he planted, and then his... It was just weird. It was like his leg went in a different direction than his foot. I know that sounds odd, and he just kind of fell backwards. You could tell it wasn't a sprained ankle. Correct. You thought foot or you know, Achilles, I think. And listen, I. this is probably true at most places, and I certainly, even though I went to the University of Kansas for a year, it was not a great year for me. So I had like almost this resentment about Kansas. But you were trying to storm um, the floor Saturday afternoon, if I saw right. correctly. Um, but give tip of the cap to the Kansas fans because they gave Xavier Johnson a standing ovation as he got up and was escorted off the floor. I think they could tell the severity of it, and they gave him a nice applause of well wish. You could tell. Um, as he left the floor. And I know the Xavier Johnson experiment has been good X and bad X. IU needs him desperately. Jalen Huchifino was back on Saturday, but they just don't have a ton of point guard depth. Again, Robert Fennessey no longer there. Um, he transferred in the offseason, so obviously that 
injury and the status for him bears a lot of monitoring. Elon and Kennesaw State this week for IU. That's actually their only games until July 5th. So uh, typically this is what you see in college basketball. A lot of break time for these teams um, around the Christmas holiday. Butler uh, hung in there for about uh, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. UConn too big. Uh, well, dominate UConn's on the good, glass. Man. 68-46. Big UConn run to close that one Yeah, out. UConn's good. Real good. Uh, the World Cup. Argentina, the first South American country to win the World Cup in 20 years. They keep France away from defending their title. They went in penalty kicks. A wild game. Argentina took an early lead, got up 2-0. Then France scored twice in about a minute span. Each team then scored in extra time and then in penalty kicks. Argentina, pretty cool, calm, collected. And their goaltender. Boy, their he, goalkeeper might be the better Yeah, he was. Or Martinez, he was outstanding. He was. I mean, and that's... I don't think people realize, I mean, a soccer ball coming at you full force like that, man, that is no joke. Those guys, I remember Tony Maioli, who was the goaltender in 94 for the U.S., and then played professionally in Kansas City. And when I was covering sports in Kansas City, Tony Maioli, I I did a story with him once, and he's like, hey, you see these teeth? And he goes, not one of them was originally mine. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's like being in hockey, I guess, right? Just an awesome game. Lived up to the hype there with the two stars and two great teams. So Argentina wins their third World Cup. All right, we come back here again. Star player for the Colts. Could we have seen the last of him this season? We'll explain more coming up. Change the trajectory or the aggression that you have in trying to get back players from injury and figuring out what you're going to do. We now know Jonathan Taylor, high ankle sprain and... I don't know that you would say out for the year as much based on what the injury and timetable is as much as what is there to actually gain by having him back this year. Zero. And in addition to that, let me ask you this. Do you think there is the – if you're putting Jonathan Taylor on a shelf, 98% chance that that's because you you obviously don't want to complicate anything for him. Do you think there's any chance also that they're simply curious to see how their offense would run with a running back by committee? Um, No, I don't. I, I just can't see that on Jeff Saturday's mind at all. Um, I mean, there's moments this year. Didn't the Colts win two games without Jonathan Taylor this season? I mean, that's what I mean. Like, Yeah, I mean, there's definitely moments. I, I don't think it's going to greatly alter. I don't expect them to have great success with or without Jonathan Taylor offensively. Um, I, I think it's more to do with, again, this has been a nagging injury. He's aggravated it several times this season. It's the same ankle, of course. Happened on the first play or his first touch of the game on Saturday. Nice screenplay for him. And that's when it got hurt. I mean, I think high ankle sprains, typically it's multiple weeks, so... Even if he were to be healthy, or you would, even if you would like to, for him to play again this season, uh, that could easily be kind of a three-week absence for him. But I think when you factor in the Darius Leonard, Shaquille Leonard ankle issues, I think that has got to play into it as well. I mean, this is a young guy that it's a running back that is dealing with a nagging ankle injury. I think that's a big reason to sit him down. And then I do think there is a financial element to it, just more curiosity than anything, of how does this impact contract negotiations for Taylor? In all likelihood, you know, he 
will or might get a contract extension this offseason. And does this alter that at all? That's another question that I have with this. Again, I would be extremely hesitant if I were the Colts to give Jonathan Taylor a big contract extension. Um, just don't pay running backs, just like you don't pay I, big I guys know. in the NBA. And again, I when I say, and this is why when I get up in the morning, I go south towards Monument Circle and not west towards my office on 56th Street. I get it. I talk about sports. I don't build sports teams. I get it. But if I was in that position, I think Jonathan Taylor is a wonderful player, a a dynamic talent. But to me, the as I mentioned earlier, the cost that you would pay Jonathan Taylor, I think that you could get 80% that production for 20 to 40% the price of what you're going to pay him. Yeah. And play the running back Super Bowl game, Jake. We've we've done this before. Is Marshawn Lynch the last Pro Bowl running back on a Super Bowl winner? Yeah, the last running back to lead the league in rushing and play in the Super Bowl in the same season, I believe, or at least to win a Super Bowl, um, was Terrell Davis, right? Um, Gosh, I mean, that's 25 years ago. Last year, I, I'm pretty sure of this. Last year in the postseason, Joe Mixon turned in the highest rushing total in the postseason, and I think it was in the Super Bowl, and he had like 79 yards. I don't think there was a single 100-yard rusher in last year's postseason. Do you guys see what Frank Gore's kid did? Yeah, 329 yards. In the bowl game? And then he tweeted out a picture of himself smoking a cigar and said, let's run it back. 21 carries, 329 yards, the most in bowl history. Frank Gore having a kid at Southern Miss just makes me feel so old. Well, I was thinking about this. Where, Where did the kid go to high school? Because you would think that Frank Gore's kid would either have gone to high school in the San Francisco area. Well, for that matter, he would have been in high school when, I mean, I don't know where Gore's permanent home is, right? Yeah, I, so maybe clearly, he trains down in the Miami area, and that's where his kid went to high school. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know where, because if that kid is, what is he? what year is he at Southern Miss? A sophomore? Is he 20, probably? Yeah, I was going to guess like 19, something like that. So yeah. he would have been entering high school six years ago? What year did Gore leave here? 2016, 17? Yeah, so... Says he went to Miami Killian Senior High School. Okay. Someone was asking me this over the weekend, just like the Colts' struggles and finishing games. To me, so much of it boils down to Jake. Obviously, in the Major League Baseball realm of it, you have a closer. Closer comes in right. the game, jobs get three outs. In the NFL, to me, three positions stand out more than any others in trying to be a closer. Your defensive ends. Mathis and Freeney slamming the door shut on all those leads back in one of the greatest eras in NFL history. And then I would throw quarterback and wide out. How many times do you see Mahomes convert a big third down late yeah. to ice a game? Yep. So look at those positions for the Colts. QB, wide out, defensive end. 
you could not be further from dynamic at any of those three spots. I feel like those are the same issues we had last year. And I think that is just so, so critical when it comes to finishing off games. You know the guy this year that I think is a good story in the NFL that nobody talks about? That had the world at his fingertips and then kind of all of a sudden got exposed and sent to Siberia and just when everybody figured that he was being sent there in order to be sent out to pasture, everything's kind of coming together again and he's got the car back in the right direction. How about Jared Goff? Think about Jared Goff. Yeah. Think about Jared Goff in terms of now, if you would were to see his wife, I don't know if you'd feel too bad for him. Yeah, I know. Is it wife or girlfriend? Woo! Whatever. But, but here's a guy He's waking up next to that. Here's a guy that grew up in California, played collegiately in California, went to the Super Bowl while living in Los Angeles. Significant others, a swimsuit model, and then all of a sudden one day. Oh, by the way, you're going to go play at Ford Field in Detroit. You can buy yourself a nice house in Royal Oak or Grove. Easy now. Motman's going to be texting you any minute. He continue that. <laughs> so he goes to Detroit, right? And suddenly he's got, you know, I, I know it's indoors, but, you know, you're living in the cold and it's Detroit and you're forced to play on Thanksgiving and and the team that sent you to pasture wins a Super Bowl in the first year without you. And everybody's talking about whether or not the Lions are, you know, in purgatory of always drafting in the top three, and what quarterback can end up there. Trade away, arguably his favorite target a few weeks ago. Yeah, and like boom, now all of a sudden, here are the Lions, five hundred and surging, lurking. Yeah, just on the fringe of the NFC playoff picture. We'll give a little rundown on that with three weeks to go in the season. We'll round out the show, Kevin and Corey. This is amazing. Somebody pointed this out on text. St. Louis Cardinals four times in five years finished four nine and one, including three in a row between nineteen sixty nine and nineteen seventy three. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the Jared Goff video. Well, that too. We found the video of Jared Goff's girlfriend when she found out that the Lions had won a game. Woo! <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Um, I did want to shout out a few Colts. I mean, again, the Colts did build a thirty three to nothing lead on Saturday, so I do feel like. We should mention some names of guys that helped do that and played well. Again, uh, my praise for Bubba Ventrone has been well documented today. Chase McLaughlin continues to kick the ball really well and from long distances. Uh, Rookie Dallas Flowers, big kick return, big pump block. JoJo Doman on the return for a touchdown. It's an undrafted free agent. Zaire Franklin had that punch of Dalvin Cook. I thought Dio Dangbo had a nice game. I know he had a big penalty late, but... Uh, defense and special teams, the heavy lifting in that first half. It was quite the performance. It was the first time, Jake, since 2001 that the Colts scored a touchdown in a game on offense, defense, and special teams. I will admit. And they did it in a half. When you see the number of 33 nothing, you're thinking like, oh man, Matt Ryan must be going off. off it. No, they, it was... And get, give Christ to or, or credit, excuse me, as you had mentioned to Chase McLaughlin. I mean, 
for a guy that was not at the beginning of the year expected to be in that position, he's done well. He's the buddy, well. and I know Jake, you aren't a golfer, but he's the buddy that like you see him hit balls in the range, and you're like, wait, how in the world is this guy any good? Like the ball doesn't look the prettiest through the uprights, though. Yeah. And again, they for they didn't forego, I guess, a big field goal late in that game to go for that QB sneak, and that stuff gave the Vikings one more chance at it. It is a gorgeous Monday here in Indy. It's a Monday that's really a Tuesday. Fortunately, right, no show for us on Friday? Correct. Uh, Ryan Walters, Purdue head coach, going to join us on Thursday. Looking forward to that. Again, looks to be very, very cold. Potentially some snow coming up this weekend for Christmas. Everybody have a great week. Safe travels, and we will talk to you tomorrow at 7 a.m.